Warning, this program typically features respectful, nuanced, and well-informed commentary, strong language, obscure pop culture references, and spurious allegations. We, we, we know of new methods of attack. Greetings and welcome back to another exciting installment of the fifth column podcast. This is your almost weekly rhetorical assault on the news cycle, the people that make it, and occasionally ourselves. I'm Camille Foster. I am affiliated with an organization called Freethink. I'm delighted to be here today. It's a wonderful day to be in New York City and to be surrounded by great men of distinction and honor. And integrity. He, he stroked out God. again. God. Yeah, he just fell asleep. Matt Welch Magazine. A very good friend, Michael Moynihan, who's affiliated with know. some organization called Vice News. And, of course, our friend Anthony Fisher, who is someplace an insider, mm-hmm. right? He does some politics thing. And eventually, it sounds like he's going to be hosting a Republican presidential debate, yeah. which we'll probably talk about a little bit later. September sounds 24th. very exciting. I mean, that sounds exactly like I'm the sort of thing use it you it, want to pay attention to. As soon to. as... Anthony wheedles me in there mm. as uh, as a uh, as an anecdote for a magazine feature. Mm. Oh, well, let's talk there about. I'm going to describe Anthony's sartorial excellence. <laughs> oh, in the lead, yeah, it was, was, you better bring it. It will be excellent. This beautiful yeah. lime green shirt that he's wearing tonight. It's very fetching. Cheers. Matches your eyes. Everyone seems like they're brown. fucking asleep, by the way. I just <laughs> yeah. want to point that out. Every, you guys, wake the, wake the fuck up. I don't know why. Wake up. What? Camille, it's wake that, the fuck up. It's the You're sleepy. You're like fucking Ben Carson right now. It's the war uh, pig. What is that? That's racist. We introduced no, I just Camille know you to war pig. <laughs> by the way, that's true. Um, I did. Because of the religious overlap that yes. your family and the Carson family have the same religious affiliation. <laughs> yes. And you're Seventh required to, to read his book, uh, Magic Fingers, or whatever it's called. <laughs> it's <laughs> What was it called? He had multiple the, books. These hands One was Gifted, hands. Gifted, Gifted hands, hands, and the other was Think Big. I thought that was the Bre- Brett Kavanaugh. <laughs> oh, um, I'm just going to jump right in again. Big um, hands. So we didn't do a show last week. Did. What happened? Well, you guys what? were supposed to. I was traveling what? last week. You guys were supposed you to. Guys. I thought you guys were going to schedule something. I had to go. I couldn't be here. Camille, without you. Oh, where did you go, Camille? I'm not going to talk about <laughs> it. Oh, my God. It's classified. Really? Yeah. Some serious stuff. I can't help it. I mean, you told us a little bit about it before. Yeah, I'm kind of envious. It's pretty interesting. I can't, I can't I talk just, about it. No, you're fine. I just like leaving the mystery out there. And yeah, then you get a bunch of like psychos on Reddit yeah. being like, I think he was with. <laughs> I've <laughs> never been flown. Look, it, it, is yeah. Like yeah, yeah, it is yeah, the yeah, Illuminati. Yeah, It is the Illuminati. Did they put the hood over your head before you went? Or It's not over your head, Matt. <laughs> no. I don't even know what that means, wow. but it's great. Exactly. Um, yeah. yeah. So you had a you had a hooded flight. Um, <laughs> like you were the Khalid Sheikh Mohammed of parties last week. <laughs> Something like Mag, that. Where were you? Uh, last week, <sighs> drinking a lot. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't see you last week. Yeah, weren't you? But you were at the moderate Sheikh party. Oh my god. Um, right, moderate chic. so much moderate so, chic. I was there too. Was yeah, a, so much so. a celebration of. Well, you were you were supposed party. to be there. I wanted to be. There. I know, and yeah. you could have responded to this tweet. Actually, I'm going to read this tweet um, because here's the thing: Barry Weiss has a new book out, and she's a friend of the podcast, mm-hmm. and she's edited me, and I've known her for for a very long time. And I still completely mystified as to why people are so exercised by Barry Weiss. Um, I mean, I have some theories, but like it's, it was so, it, it, they, New York Magazine sent someone to cover it. A guy named uh, Boris Kachka, um, who uh, I was talking to and didn't realize he was going to quote me. Um, and I think he kind of misunderstood what I said too. Mm. Um, I said, I said in the, and he, I think he quoted me accurately. 
But I said something that's in this New York Magazine piece that I was like, if you had told me five, ten years ago that Barry Wise would be the object of hatred and being like hissed at for Bill Maher appearances, I would have thought you were completely mad. And that's just because she's kind of a quiet, you know, like reserved, super friendly, super friendly person kind of thing. So, so anyway, Boris writes this piece, and I saw Boris, and I wasn't where I was being quoted, but he also, by the way, was slightly deceptive. <laughs> he said to me. That he was writing a piece, you know, he was trying to do a larger piece about the editorial page. And I was like, okay, I saw that piece and I was like, all right, you got to sign to cover a book party. And um, I don't know why people don't think she should have a book party. But everyone's like, oh my God, she had a book party and there were white people there. So that was the, so this is uh, Joel D. Anderson. I don't know who that is. Who's Joel D. He's a, he's a blue checkmark guy. But he says, uh, this party isn't Twitter. And that's a quote. Frank Bruni is right in that I highly doubt there were more than two black people there Whoa. who weren't serving drinks. Oh, I'm so Whoa. sorry. I, I couldn't I, make I, it. I can't. I had to say. I had to say. I, there were no black people there serving drinks. Two to two. But, uh, but had you been there, I would have sent a picture to Joel D. Anderson of you see, having a drink and getting it from a white woman. Camille Foster, racism Pokemon. Is he the co-host of Slowburn? Because there is a Joel Anderson who is the I think so. host of Slowburn. Yeah, I think Slint. so. Yeah. And it was like, it's really weird because you would think that people would have some sense of propriety and some, be, you know, be reserved about this stuff. But if you're the host of Slowburn, if you're, what does it matter what you are? People just don't feel any compunction about attacking Barry Weiss in these like it's kind of like this sport for people who think they're cool but aren't cool at all and like sort of these nerdy like blue checkmark types who every time you meet them they're like suffer from some form of autism that you didn't even know existed it was you know it's like dude I was at a libertarian party event on Tuesday no, I, no, instead of there so, no we, like, we know all those exist <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but then I saw I saw I'm like why are people talking it was like trending on Twitter it's like first of all it's a fucking book party why is this? Why is this a news story that's like, oh my god, there's all these people? It lasted 85 minutes. Yeah, it was like really not a big deal. <laughs> and then um, there was a splinter. Do you know that's oh, like god. that's mm. that's what Gawker became fusion became splinter. Yeah, because that's what it seems like. It's like, but they're like the players who played in the major leagues during the Second World War. They're like just guy, <laughs> yeah. regular, like guys from around the neighborhood. Players, yeah, yeah. Stuffy Sternwiss. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a great. Yeah, I'm gonna get a tattoo of that guy. But so yeah, there's one, and it's like you know Barry Barry Weiss's book party seems like hell on earth. That was like the headline. I'm like, oh, it's just like a normal book party. I don't know what the hell these people are all on about. But um, this is the quote from that. Uh, but again, about Frank Bruni, who's really coming in for it here. Bruni looks around the room of uh, an upscale Manhattan restaurant. It's not that nice, by the way, because it's on Midtown, uh, which is filled <laughs> with some of the most privileged, ideologically aligned people in the universe. Hmm. And Fisher, especially privileged. It was judging from the story, judging from the story, it was judging the story. It's just about entirely white. I don't believe there's a mention of race in there, but judging from the story, the hundreds of probably entire, and calls it diversity. He even calls it reality. It would be offensive if it weren't so stupid what? that this is the world Bar Barry Weiss has chosen to move in. Should tell you everything you need to know. Michael Michael Babaro was that like just like journalists she works with. People are nice. I saw an old colleague from the Daily Beast who's like a super lefty guy, and he's like, oh yeah, Barry's really good. He works in New York Times. He's like, oh, she's great. And I was like, it's just really normal. And then I read these things, and I'm like, what the fuck are these people talking about? They're like mad she had a book party and it's like i bet it's all privileged people like i, I mean i don't know they're journalists I like there's the some idea. rich people there i'm sure i like but. the idea of uh of doing uh demographic uh angry demographic uh crowd checks of well i whatever uh, gathering you okay like. so i would I, I i guess what i would do is i would find 
this author's um, Instagram page and see if I can find any black people on it. Because it's always like some white guy going like, ah, there's no diversity. It's like, dude, you don't have any black friends. Come on. Stop kidding yourself. So anyway, it was like a, it was a short, uh, brief. I saw some interesting people that I knew. And then I come back and I'm like, man, I attended like a David Irving lecture. I was like, Jesus, God. Anyway, so that's when I wasn't on a secret plane with a hood over my head. I was at another public Illuminati event, apparently. Uh, I was at the uh, aforementioned uh, uh, Libertarian Party thing, but uh, a Soho Forum event. What the and, fuck do you do and, to deserve this stuff, man? <laughs> I cover it. So, like, I have to go. Uh, it was a uh, comic Dave Smith and uh, Nicholas Sarwark uh, having a debate. Uh, oh, dear. Uh, I'm not going to fill well, the end how of that. How was that? How uh, but what I wanted to say is... I, I, I saw more interesting da- debates between people at, like, Port Authority. They <laughs> like, ran, ran into each other. Actually, no, I have no, I, can, can I tell you something? I have no idea who those two people are. Yeah. <laughs> You're doing pretty well. Uh, no, the uh, but what I wanted to say is that uh, one of us, Camille, today, when he was day drinking, sent mm-hmm. us a, a, a photo on our group, our ongoing uh, group uh, text, um, showing that our, the, our bar is out of business. And I knew this, uh, I, I for, forgot to tell you guys, uh, but we, it now can be revealed what our bar was because we mm-hmm. like to, we like to be a little bit, you know, throw people off the scent, but uh, about a uh, hundred yards from where we are. <laughs> which which is by the way, why it was our bar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the one after the show. Emmett O'Lunny's it was called on, on 50th and Emmett, the uh, eponymous uh, owner of it. And the son of a guy named Emmett O'Lunny who also runs a place on 44th um, was so sweet to us for three years, basically. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, a, a guy who I think I'd been going in there for a while just cause it was close and uh, the alcoholism. Um, but it was only when uh, was, I think it was Moynihan came in. He's like, Hey, I, I recognize that guy or maybe we cat temp or, or a combination of the both. Um, but like recognized us from Fox and like came over and, and uh, introduced himself. And from that mo- moment on the guy would like buy us a drink every single time he saw us. Every single time he had a little little section up in the corner of his mm-hmm. uh, gigantic Irish pub place uh, that had like there was an Atlas Shrug thing, uh, the Shrug poster, I think, from the movie that was up there. Mm-hmm. There was a uh, there was a uh, I think he took it down eventually, but there was a capitalism like uh, 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 thing up there. Yeah, I think there's also a signed copy of Blacklash up on the wall. He had a Will Cow burger <laughs> on the uh, on the menu for, for uh, Andrew Will Cow mm-hmm. on uh, Sirius XM Patriot. Yeah, it was a turkey burger, I might add. All, uh, all, all of which to say he had some interesting philosophical convictions for someone who happens to be a New Yorker, it seems. And uh, because he had a, a, a signed thing of uh, from Breitbart up on the wall, he at mm-hmm. some point was the uh, target of a Broadway a boycott of his plays that lasted for like a hot day and a half and mm-hmm. people f- forgot about it. But anyways, um, just a shout out to Emmett. He's a friend of the show. Uh, yeah. one, one of the best ones. And we're not going to tell you what our next bar is, partly because we don't have one yet. So no if, any, idea. if any of you are Midtown, Kornacki, you're, you're in Midtown. If you can tell us a bar that should be our next bar, please uh, mail it in along with a gigantic bottle of Angel's Envy uh, whiskey uh, for Matt. For Matt. Thank I, I, I want to um, update something that I, I was just talking about. The, the person who wrote that story about the lack of idiot, the lack of um, skin color diversity at Barry West's book party that he didn't attend. Um, <laughs> I, I, I looked at his Instagram and oh, I no, don't, no. I can't find a single black you, person you on it. Fact check the Instagram. Yeah, yeah. I, I, there's no black, there's no black people on it. And also, um, <laughs> he went to Yale. So he's talking about privilege. It's like, what's up, Jack? I went to UMass. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> 
but yeah, that's that's just so you know, just a quick check. I don't know if that's that's not exhaustive. I don't know. I mean, maybe he's maybe he's uh, you know um, Pare- open parentheses. Has everyone furiously checking and, their Instagram and, accounts and, to and, see whether. And by the way, enough. if there were people of color at the party, which there were, as you know, yeah, there were. Uh, if if there were, and you were to name them, you would say, or this person on Instagram would say. They don't count. They're, yeah, they're grifters. Yeah, yeah, they're grifters. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, say, my, my uncle who is sitting across from me, mm. uh, Thomas. He uh, <laughs> he didn't he didn't go. So Camille wasn't there. He was on a he was on a white plane. <laughs> right? What's it like being on the oh, white plane? I love it. Really, yeah, I love yeah. it. Yeah. White planes are the best planes. <laughs> Do they like serve you like planes. champagne and shit? How's that work? I'm just gonna have to cut all this. No, you have to cut. It doesn't just, matter. Yes, <laughs> no, no, they don't. It's just regular snacks. Um, so where what what should we talk about today? There's plenty of stuff that's happened since the last time we were together. There was a Democratic debate where Joe Biden's teeth sneeze. apparently fell out of his mouth. Um, maybe that's important. Um, uh, apparently Kavanaugh is back in the news again because yeah. he is a horrible person, the most disgusting and disturbing. It's funny though because I was listening on the way over here to NPR and they were talking about uh-huh. this um, Kavanaugh thing. Uh huh. And um, <laughs> they were saying they just casually throw the plural around. They're like, you know, new accusations. And there's one and the woman wouldn't corroborate it and says she doesn't remember. And it's apparently a friend um, that or somebody she went to school with who did remember it and talked to them. They said they a number of people, seven people or something they talked to remembered this. Um, the one they quoted uh, was a guy which they never pointed out. The New York Daily News pointed it out, but they didn't, nobody pointed out this guy in D.C., who works at the nonpartisan something, something, something center, right? <laughs> and let, let's let just be clear about this. Nonpartisan does not mean that it's not partisan. It means it doesn't support candidates mm-hmm. or parties. AEI, the American Enterprise Institute, which is a right-wing think tank, is a nonpartisan institution. The Heritage Foundation. Heritage Foundation mm-hmm. is a nonpartisan institution. So it means nothing. But And what was not mentioned was that he was one of Bill Clinton's lawyers, uh, particularly, I think, during the Paula Jones thing, too. So it was like trying to, you know, James Carville famously calling calling her, um, what was it? Uh, trailer trash. You drag, drag a dollar through a trailer yeah. park. You never know what you come up with or something like that. Um, I was thinking of the, a little bit nutty and a little bit slutty, which was what uh, David Brock, who runs Nina Media Hill. Matters now, said about Nina Hill. But yeah, so that was a detail left out. And the other detail left out was in the initial story, which is an excerpt from their book, uh, until it was pointed out to them, somebody pointed this out, that they didn't actually mention in the story that the woman, number one, refused to talk to them. And number two, according to her friends, uh, has no memory of this and has no memory of, of, of the experience at all. So it was a pretty thin read. And despite that, the signaling came almost immediately from every Democratic candidate. And look, I carry no water for, for Brett Kavanaugh. I just I see this only as like a really shot, shoddily done uh, news story. Um, they appended the correction. They appended the correction afterwards when they had been shamed basically by Molly Hemingway. Uh, yeah, exactly. Who's who, who wrote a book that um, was a bestseller about this and I don't think was um, was uh, reviews reviewed um, th- th- but I looked at the story and I think there's a couple of weird things about it this is one uh, uh, quote from the story this is a single sentence in the story and I'd like you to to figure this out for me Matt um, you're kind of a disgusting pervert so I think you maybe <laughs> get this a classmate Max Steyer 
um, saw Mr. Kavanaugh with his pants down mm-hmm. at a different drunken dorm party where friends pushed his penis into the hand of a female student. Oh. Now, what the, what? That's what friends are for. <laughs> so, wait. No, there's, a, there's a I was trying to figure this out here. logistical issue. I'm, yeah, I'm trying to figure this out. So he just had his dick out. Let's just be honest here. He's his dick out. Yeah. And then Who has the, the, the friends party? had it in their hand. <laughs> what she do? I mean, so it must be a Yale, it's like a whiff and poofs thing. I don't know. There you go. You're not gonna. Um, you're not gonna cut that one. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not gonna get a job on that sound. Let me stay. In the hand, pushed his penis into the into the hand of the female student who was apparently doing like the shrug emoji like next to him, and her hand was there. And somebody pushed it into her hand. Like, what the fuck is it? What does that even mean? I'm baffled by it. So, is there any uh, sense in the reporting here, which you've obviously uh, looked at very closely, Michael? I just uh, read it today. I was like, uh, confused by it. Who is asleep here? Because there needs to be a couple. People I asleep. would assume so. That's what I'm. Right? But, like, but it's not, needs to be asleep. It, it, if someone's pushing your penis at people, you better goddamn be but, asleep. But the thing is, it's like it's his. It's his penis, right? And the, the friends, plural, have it in their collective hands, and then they push it into the hand of another one. I'm just, I'm just we, saying what they, what I'm reading. I mean, we have different concepts of uh, of friendship on the West Coast, of the United States. It doesn't involve uh, penis pushing. Yeah. Well, I, I, I tell you what, there is um, there is a lot about this story that would make Camille um, very, very um, angry. Because the, it is uh, a lot about the other accuser. Um, what was it named? Deborah Ramirez? Deborah Ramirez, Deborah Ramirez. Yeah. Um, And it sets it up um, as this kind of racial thing, in a way. Mm. That she, the, 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 my favorite touch is that she came from a, 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 you know, a lesser place in, in Connecticut. Um, and she had an above ground pool, mm. which is an amazing, if you think about what they're doing there, mm. it's an above ground pool. Wow. And there's some other details in, in that, like also, um, the, this is my favorite, but, but Mrs. Miss Ramirez learned quickly that although cheerleading was cool in high school, it didn't carry the same cachet at Yale. Mm. People called her Debbie cheerleader or Debbie <laughs> dining hall, or would oh. start to say Debbie does playing on the 1978 porn movie, Debbie does Dallas. But Miss Ramirez didn't understand the reference. Oh, <laughs> I mean the first time, I guess she didn't get it, but like, I don't understand why this is relevant. Uh, first of all, first of all, show of hands here. The, the, the oral hands. That's not bad. Uh, she, yeah, keep, uh, keep it going. <laughs> who who here had uh, overground pools growing up? Uh, I mean, my friends, a couple of friends did. I don't know. Really? No, no, no. no, no. Really? no I, I grew up in a shitty part of Connecticut. I don't know. You had sun around. I mean, it was. Don't count. But like, uh, it wasn't. It wasn't big. It wasn't like the ones that my cousins had uh, up in, in Portland. But it was. You know, it was. The size of this table is an overground pool. Must have been nice. Well, it's funny because that, but but you know, and that meant something, right? You had an overground, uh, above ground pool was like what what like you know lower middle class people had, right? And with this one, it's really funny because there's two things. No one has pointed out the second one, and I can't. I, it's, I guess people are paying attention to the actual facts or you know lack of corroboration in the story. Because what's added to the story is that the woman, the other woman, wouldn't confirm this. Um, and, and according to her friends, didn't remember it and couldn't confirm it. The Ramirez thing, um, they talk, the whole thing is set up and from the headline on down that she's, uh, Puerto Rican and her mother was like French or something like that. But if you look at her, it's like, uh, uh, George, what's his name? The guy who, who, who killed Trayvon Martin. 
Zimmerman. Zimmerman. It, he, she's what would be considered a white Hispanic, right? But in, <laughs> in which I, th- I think the New York Times used when talking about him. I'm not entirely sure, but we could probably check that. But um, whereas she, th- she's, you know, Puerto Rican, right? And so they, they set this up. And here's the paragraph I think is pretty amazing. So remembering that they couldn't corroborate this story, then they had added that detail later. This is what they say about this whole thing. Miss Ramirez also did not see herself as a victim of ethnic discrimination. The college campuses of the 1980s had yet to be galvanized by the identity and sexual politics that course through today's cultural debates. Oh, so she was too dumb to realize a- exactly that she was a victim. Yeah, of too early. Yeah. Wait a second. What, what wow. year is this? Uh, 82, 83. Right. And Zimmerman was described by CNN, The Washington Post and The New York Times as a white Hispanic. OK, she is. She is also <laughs> what would be considered a white. I mean, if you see the pictures of her, I mean, she I wouldn't have no sense that mm. she was Hispanic. And that's, I think, how they judge it. Right. I mean, you, you're quite unquote passing um so there's this whole narrative about being out of place hispanic of a different class and then brett kavanaugh's from you know which is true he's from a you know very upper middle class uh neighborhood outside of dc by the mid 80s by 1985 at the latest and arguably earlier the single biggest issue on college campuses by far was apartheid Oh yeah, sure. By far, yeah. The, the school that I ended up going to, UC Santa Barbara, you build banter stands. And they, they had and uh, the, they had a yeah. shanty town. Yes, exactly. Uh, uh, for a year, and people lived in their main like quad for a year, including the uh, student body president and other people. Like that was yes. the issue. That was what led to divestment. People mm-hmm. talked about that constantly, constantly, constantly in the mid '80s at universities. So it's not like people weren't talking about race. No, it's not. No. And, and, you know, it was like, she, uh, this is weird setup of that. She was, went to be a cheerleader and then was like, Oh, I guess, I guess that's not cool. It's like, I mean, (laughs) you're a cheerleader at Yale. I mean, I don't know. I mean, and by the way, what does that have to do with whether or not Brett Kavanaugh should be on the bench? I, I, there was a, the weird tell in this was the original headline, or I think the still existing headline, which was something like, you know, Brett Kavanaugh uh, fit in, but she didn't. Yeah, that, that's his like, whole thing. If you, had, yeah. if you have something new, some big new reveal, like, let's lead with the big new reveal, as they did in the original tweet, right? Which is all about a penis in someone's face yeah. or something like yes. that, that they ended up having to take down. Um, it was it was astonishing to watch. And I, you know, like most normal Americans, I'm trying really, really hard to forget that I ever knew the name Brett Kavanaugh and and the whole uh, controversy that happened in the Supreme Court and the confirmation hearings where pretty much everyone uh, covered themselves in in glory. Yeah, like, everyone like, lost in that. Yeah. Everyone lost. I mean, yeah. the Democrats had information that they could have shared early in the process and just did not. They weaponized it. They came last minute. It was all just a god awful mess. Um, all all bad. Uh, but when you look at the uh, the way that this is done now, like like if it, it, it was so quick, everyone, uh, Kamala Harris, Elizabeth Warren, people just jumped on this. My God, we have this new information that confirms everything. We need to impeach now. Jeet here at the, at, I think writing in the nation, the nation. <laughs> it's worth giggling at you. Jeet for fuck's sake. Does he, it's, does he write anywhere outside of Twitter? Uh, it's surprisingly. Yes. Uh, oh. occasion for the new Republic and, and for the nation. It's like, well, you know, we could, um, uh, you know, we, sure, we can impeach him on the merits, but um, which is always great. You look, you you but the impeachment you either impeach on the merits or you don't. Uh, but here's way uh, ways to weaken him in the meantime. I mean, it's so obvious a yeah. blunt object sure. to like undo a thing that people feel traumatized by. Uh, like no surprises in the way that anyone reacted to. The, it. The, the, I mean, look, I have no idea if uh, Brett Kavanaugh did what um, certain people accuse him of doing. 
Um, By which you mean Samuel L. Jackson. <laughs> That's, that's, that's the best that, go for, seek it out yeah, on, see, on twitter it's so um I, I have no idea right and and there is also the debate that d- nobody wants to have is that um if those things are actually true um what is the severity of them does age make a difference etc um what happened when he was uh supposedly with uh chrissy blasey ford um that's pretty bad i mean that's that why struck me as like wait you're locking somebody in the, you know holding oh, yeah, down yeah. or whatever um and i think that conservatives were really kind of blithe about it um but he, by the way in that book it is also noted uh somewhere that that uh christine blasey ford's uh father didn't believe her and congratulated Brett Kavanaugh's father because they were members Super of the same strange. club. Because, yeah. you know, they obviously they grew up together. Um, but the weird, the weirdest thing I came out of this is that um, you cannot write the word dildo in um, the New York Times. Still? Apparently not. Uh, she and some classmates had been drinking heavily when, she says, a freshman named Brett Kavanaugh pulled down his pants and thrust his penis at her, prompting her to swat it away and inadvertently touch it. Some of the onlookers who'd been passing around a fake penis earlier in the evening laughed. A fake <laughs> penis. What is a fake penis? <laughs> it's a dildo, right? Is that is that what I'm? I had got, now this is the thing that like you know it might not be a dildo. A steely dan. Well, I, I mean, I mean, if they if they have some object that they imagine that they're imagining or pretending is a penis, it's a courgette. Is a fake penis. <laughs> it was like, come on, I mean, it could be. Like well, anything. if they carved it, it would be. Otherwise, you're imagining something. My and then the last thing I'll say uh, about this is that. Um, I'm just so mystified by it. And it's like, you, you obviously have, um, you're reticent about saying any of these things because like people are like, Oh, you're a victim. It's like, no, I'm just confused by the whole fucking thing. To be honest, I had, this is a quote from her. I had gone through high school. I'm the good girl. And now who's her at this point? Sorry. Uh, uh, Ramirez, uh, Deborah Ramirez. I had gone through high school. I'm the good girl. And now in one evening, it was all ripped away. This is from the penis swatting thing. Uh, She said in an interview earlier this year at her Boulder, Colorado home, by preying upon her this way, she added, Mr. Kavanaugh and his friends, quote, made it clear I'm not smart. This is completely mystifying to me. And as a journalist, if I'm taking this, I would just I'm looking at the transcript. I would just dump that quote because I wouldn't really understand. Or or follow up or follow up. What what does that that mean? mean? So I think that the framing of it is like kind of a class war piece in some way. And I'm kind of a class warrior myself. You know, I don't talk about it much. And so I'm initially some kind somehow sympathetic. And then I just don't understand what the hell they're talking about. You know what this reminds me of a lot? There and everyone's was a, yelling impeach after it. There was a story that the New York Times um, laid a shit burger on uh, in the 2008 campaign. And it was about John McCain's relationship with a lobbyist. And I think she was a lobbyist for telecommunications. And the heavy inference from the story, and this uh, created a, a big stir for about five days, um, was that it looks like he was probably having an affair with this lobbyist. Um, but it's clear that they didn't have the goods. And so they made the lead uh, and the headline kind of about something else, kind of about like, isn't it strange that McCain's straight talking anti-lobbyist thing um, didn't always seem to be so true? And it felt like it was written by a team of lawyers. It was it, it just didn't like it felt like they had a story that they were looking to get. They didn't quite get it. They still had stuff. 
that they couldn't really prove. So they found a way to kind of cloak that stuff, which they then talked about in paragraphs eight through 13 and then got hammered uh, by it. I think there was even there might have been a lawsuit. It probably didn't go anywhere, uh, which is probably for the for the best. But it had that disjointed feel. Right. Mm-hmm. Of like uh, we thought we were going to go for this golden thing. Um, but like that's always a tell. If you can't just lead with the, oh, my God, new accuser, new evidence, bad. Um, but instead it, they have to sort of wrap it up in other things. That's a that's a, a good reading tell that they don't. Really yeah. Have. And to be clear, I don't like the way this story is written. I don't like it was reported, but I don't think it's it's not worth you know reporting out. Period. I think it's obviously justified being the book and they can excerpt the book. And, you know, it wasn't a, a news story. It was an excerpt from the book. But it's it, it is the reaction. And when you say that, you know, everyone weaponized this in their political way. I mean, the fact that almost every presidential candidate on the Democratic side called for his impeachment on these very, very thin reads from college. I mean, I, the one thing that I think about is that, you know, and it might be just me because of, you know, drugs having their ultimate effect on me now. Um, but I don't remember literally any parties that I went to in college. I remember like vaguely a few, even I remember things and kind of bad things happen. I don't really, get, I don't really remember much. And this is, you know, 10 years before I was in college, 10 plus years before I was in college. And I just, I don't know. I mean, the, the memory is a, is a foggy thing. And particularly, I mean, we found that a lot. I mean, people have found this often with Holocaust survivors. And I believe we actually talked about this in the show is that, it doesn't mean, and Holocaust deniers use this quite frequently, is that you have a Holocaust survivor who was in a camp and who was brutalized in the camp and whose family did die in the camp. But after so long and, you know, whatever is out there in the ether starts kind of making its way into your own memories. And you remember, you know, being chosen by Joseph Mengele when that didn't uh, when happen, that didn't happen uh-huh. you know, but it doesn't mean they weren't in a camp. Do you know what I'm saying? Is that th- there's these weird things. Obviously, there's a lot of science. This I don't understand most of it, but I just read that a lot about Holocaust survivors. Now, granted, a lot of that stuff was much longer after the fact than this was. But, you know, I don't know. It's like the, the woman who they, they say is the new accuser who wouldn't actually accuse him you know, says, I don't remember it. And that seems totally plausible to me. It seems plausible that it happened too. I don't, I don't know, but, but I'm not going to, you know, ruin a man's life based on something that, that, you know, seems to be, you know, remembered by some people, but not the actual victim. Yeah. I I remember getting beat up and we talked about this uh, during the original Ford thing when it came out, getting beaten up on Twitter by suggesting, or just asking people how many nights, how many parties do you remember from high school? No, it's a completely reasonable question. I mean, I don't, it doesn't, again, it doesn't mean. I remember six. I, I mean, that's, that's <laughs> saying, I mean, zero. I, I, think, I mean, like, look, I can imagine, I imagine they were getting beaten up for saying right. that's when you would remember. No, right? I, I, I imagine get remembering getting beaten up, but yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it should have happened more. Um, <laughs> but, but, you know, I, I like, I can imagine people criticizing you saying like, look, if you had an event like that, you'd remember it, which is, I would imagine probably true. Right. Um, but there's, there was also something in this reporting that, that some of her friends that, what was that, Anthony? I think it was maybe mentioned by Molly Hemingway, who's obviously coming at this from another kind of extra grind, uh, another partisan position. Um, it doesn't mean that either of these people, by the way, aren't doing good reporting. I mean, right. Even David Brock, who disavowed the book on Needed a Hill, actually dug up some interesting stuff in that book, The Real Needed a Hill. But, you know, he had obviously a very particular agenda. But there was something to it, Anthony, Anthony you probably know this, um, 
that her, uh, Chrissy Blasey Ford's some of her friends were doubting the story or something. They like couldn't. That? They couldn't corroborate that there was any party that like that. that yeah, I remember like, that. But there was some. I think there was somebody who doubted it. Somebody uh, uh, that was like fairly influential in her life that they came to, and then there was a pressure campaign. This is in one of these pieces. Actually, yeah, that's right. I think it was a Politico piece. There was like a pressure campaign, and at that point, again. All of this could have happened to her, but you have everybody around her saying, we need to get this guy off the Supreme Court. You know, we can make sure that this guy doesn't get on the Supreme Court. By the way, someone else is going to get on the Supreme Court. (laughs) On the Ramirez alone, this is something that actually just kind of came out uh, by Tiana Lowe from the Washington Examiner, is Mm -hmm. that five of the seven corroborators named by the New York Mm -hmm. Times um, said that they did not identify Kavanaugh by name. They they were aware of the incident, but did not identify Kavanaugh as the perpetrator of the incident. And the woman who wouldn't talk said she couldn't remember if it was him so, uh, so basically right? the, the the total is one of the five uh even heard of the incident and that's the guy who was who was trying to uh who was acting as a lawyer to defame paula jones <laughs> I, I guess I, <laughs> just so we're keeping you know. track here um i don't you know i don't know like it all seems like i don't trust any of these people anyone anywhere i mean it's from kavanaugh down so I mean, it's the uh, it's the through line, not just in this, but like the when the SNL guy got uh, canceled today, that happened. Yeah, the, just the, happened. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, the comic. It's when the uh, the need to wield the club is stronger than anything else, then it will overwhelm the question, or it'll try to overwhelm the question within the constraints of of due process or whatever kind of process might exist. There's not that much process at a comedy uh, television show that's been on for 75 years, um, as opposed to, you know, confirming a Supreme Court justice. Yeah, but, well, I mean, the, the, the most popular articles in the Wall Street Journal right now, number four is new report on Kavanaugh reopens debate. And there seems to be some concerted effort here to make this a campaign issue. Um, and, you know, wield this one and kind of bring that conversation back to both uh, Kavanaugh and Donald Trump's own behavior, which seems by all measures and uh, from people I know who can corroborate some of this stuff way worse than Brett Kavanaugh's. You know, I mean, it's like, like Trump doesn't have the excuse of drinking all the beer. No, it's right. He's he's, <laughs> you know, famously teetotal. And um, a friend of mine who's in his orbit told me one story about about him on a plane and he was married and he just, you know, brought a woman with him that he had met very soon before she came on the plane and made a comment when he came out of the. the, I mean, it's just like all this stuff. None of it surprises you. And this person's like an unimpeachable credibility. And um I was like, wow, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> makes And other people who, who he's friends with, uh, I confirmed it too. I mean, I have a friend who uh, confirmed seeing a, uh, a, a like blush-faced mistress uh, introduced uh, in a very wink-wink, nudge-nudge way when uh, uh, like months after he'd married Melania, like yeah. on, a, <laughs> on a golf course at a, uh, at, oh, a yeah. at a Trump resort. It's like, it, if... You and I both know friends who have. Yeah. Well, who are we? So, yeah, we're, we're like, nobody. Well, I mean, you go to moderate chic parties. Let's be honest. Yeah, I'm, like, I'm uh, super moderate chic. I, can I was wearing jeans. <laughs> I was wearing chic. I was a white guy. Yeah, yeah. Jeans. I was. I was around counting ethnic minorities to see if I could get a piece out of it. <laughs> the company Barry Weiss keeps. <laughs> it's like, yeah, look at all these. I mean, they're like. I, I, I'm going to confess. Did I confess this already? I probably didn't. But when I when I used to uh, uh, work at the movie theater in 1986 in the summer. I would always want to um, 
uh, take uh, uh, work the door on opening night on Friday night. Uh, and I would do it because I was fascinated by the racial component of who would come to which movies. Hmm. And I would count. <laughs> <laughs> wow. wow! Yeah, no, I'm this confessing a lot of racism. Really we see Soul Man, yeah, 1986. Yeah. Uh, no, Camille, is that button? Is that, that cut his mic? <laughs> yeah, just yeah, cut yeah. it. It's fine. No, but it was no, only. This is important. It was only. The, <laughs> I, I need to confess. Uh, no, it was only because <laughs> the, the difference between uh, Friday the Thirteenth, I think Part Seven mm-hmm. horror movies, uh, which we noticed a, 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 a strong uh, a concentration of black uh, moviegoers and. Uh, Heartburn. <laughs> Heartburn. Heartburn. The Carl Bernstein uh, biopic written by Nora Ephron starring, I think, Jack Nicholson and Meryl Streep. Her, 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 her ex-husband. Yes. 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 Uh, which I think not a single black person has ever to this day watched Heartburn and under any circumstance uh, or, or whatever. But it, that, Obvious racism. Obvious racism. Not many white people saw it either. Yeah. yeah it, was, <laughs> it, was, uh, it was a terrible movie. Uh, yeah. It was not good. Um so maybe we should talk about World War Three. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Is, uh, yeah, that's a, happening. Apparently, about to happen. Uh, sure. I guess it was over over the weekend that the uh, Saudis um, were attacked by some sort of machine, be <laughs> yeah. it a drone or perhaps yeah. some sort of missile. Um, details are still quite sketchy, um, but as of today, the United States is officially um, telling the Saudis that they believe that the Iranians were behind this attack on their oil refining capacity, uh, which apparently has taken out more than like a third. Oh, higher. There. Is, higher. It, is it higher oh, than a third? I've heard 50, 60, and then a third. But so, I the think, est- yeah. so the estimates are all oh, yeah. over the place. They are yeah. saying that they, they believe that if they tap into their reserves, et cetera, yeah. that they ought to be able to get 100% of this back online in the course of, over the course of a week. But what's what's astonishing about this is – the seemingly very precise nature of these attacks, the the attacks themselves happening in a way that was seemingly difficult to thwart. Um, and most importantly, perhaps for the United States and for anyone who watches U.S. foreign policy, um, is this ratcheting up of tension between the Iranians and the Saudis and the United States with Donald Trump seemingly Kind of waiting to see what the Saudis ask him to do. Yeah, yeah he <laughs> said that publicly. He's like, "What do you guys want me to do?" We're, you know, of course, yeah. war is always an option. Um, then we could we could back out, but you know, we're just going to wait and see what the Saudis want to do. The kingdom, um, capital K. And mm-hmm. the Saudis okay. seem seem to be uh, interested in referring this to the UN to have some further investigation done, which suggests that there perhaps will not be any sort of conflict tomorrow. Nothing imminent. Um, but this is a, a pretty. Big deal. I mean, these are cruise missiles. There's both cruise missiles and drones. That's what the last reporting was. We don't know. Mm-hmm. That might be changed. But um, th- th- you can't. These are not guys in sandals that are Houthi rebels that have, you know, are either fifth columnists. There you go. In Saudi <laughs> um, or, you know, fine. Because, look, it's fairly clear that what Mike Pompeo says is probably wrong, that this is coming, that the actual attack came from Iran, which probably with the way that we watch Iran, that's mm. not going to happen, I don't think. I mean, it seems like it, it came from either Yemen or somebody inside, um, or Iraq, it could have come from Iraq too, or somebody inside of, of, of Saudi who was carrying this out. But these are cruise missiles. I mean, this is something that, you know, we've seen in the past components that the UN has actually inspected within Yemen, that they're Iranian components. I mean, this is, their drones were, they're saying already Iranian drones. Um, mm-hmm. They're Iranian made. And they just, you know, the Iranians just say, it wasn't me. You know, it's like the old Eddie Murphy bit and Delirious, one of me. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's, that's, you know, what can you do? You can just say they have been wreaking havoc um, from, you know, 2003 
on. I mean, well, from 1979 on, um, but 2003, really, um, with these militias, the the uh, Shia militias that they're backing in Iraq, you know, and, and and right now, seeing what happened in Saudi, it is a huge deal. I mean, you lose that much of your oil capacity. Aramco is the largest oil company in the world. And they're, by the way, about to go public, too. Company. Um, company. I mean, they, I call the family the company. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're about, they're about to go p- public, too, which is probably that you know, factored in some way, but you know, they said, Oh, we can get this back up online in a couple weeks to a month. Um, we're going to dip into our very large strategic reserves. I mean, the U S has strategic reserves too. Most countries, big countries like this do that said the oil prices, um, went through the roof and they'll probably stay there for a while. So despite the fact that we can keep that, the, the market flowing, uh, those oil prices, the instability in that mm-hmm. has made it go pretty high. So beyond the, the fact the that regionally, the expectation of potential future attacks yes. like, has to be priced in. Exactly right. Yeah. And, and you know, with, with <laughs> the military thing here and Donald Trump saying, you know, I mean, he said today, this would all the people, the, the sort of libertarian types who said he was a non-interventionist guy. When he was asked in the Oval Office, he said, you know, I, I don't I don't like any wars. I don't like war. But, you know, <laughs> it's like, wait, what? Yeah, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Well, this is it's funny. I'm, I'm hearing um, Mitt Romney's voice in my head saying something along the lines of, you know, well, John Bolton isn't there, you know, to, to give the president much needed advice in circumstances. Are you guys like who both of you, uh, Camille, and Matt, who spent a lot of time with uh, John Bolton? Just sexually. <laughs> I mean, well, no, I thought you guys talked afterwards um do you, are you happy about this that he's uh, actually in when this happens that he's not there yes yes yeah. i i like john Bol- bolton uh you're not supposed to say that uh, i find him interesting and nice um i don't think that his views about government he's not a neocon i mean that's a that's the no he actually is not yeah people yeah. get really wrong he's actually way more kind of he doesn't like nation building um uh he's not doing it for paul wolfowitzian reasons um, uh, he's just really that big of an asshole. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. He wants to punch a lot of people in the nose. And also he's very, very focused on, um, uh, uh, blunting the spread of weapons of mass destruction. That was his job at the yeah. UN under, uh, Bush back in the day. So you're uh, saying he's like a peacenik, uh, kind of guy. No, like, although it is funny that, uh, Trump, <laughs> he, he does kind of look like David Crosby sometimes. So uh, that would make sense. Uh, if you, if you haven't seen it, uh, 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 on Twitter, go look at the, uh, the picture that the Photoshop people did with him and Michael Bolton, you just can't, oh, it's really good. You yeah. can't unsee. So, so uh, it, it is so funny. No, I'm glad he's gone. Although Trump did say that, like, you know, John Bolton was holding me back in Venezuela and Cuba. I wanted to do more and he was not so interested mm. there. One of the biggest problems here is that there is a great game theory among people in the administration and outside of the administration. Steve Bannon is chief among those, but within Jared Kushner and these people that uh, there is basically a regional civil war. Um, between Saudi Arabia and Iran, and we are on the side as are uh, as is Israel on the side of Saudi Arabia, and we should be pushing this. Turkey is on the bad side, and like we got to be on the good side of this upcoming regional civil war. This is partially explains why uh, we've been uh, getting way too involved in uh, the atrocities in Yemen and the famine that's going on there. Um, I, this is not something that we should be doing, and it very. Uh, I mean, this, the Saudis are among the best uh, at doing diplomacy vis-a-vis the United States. They're right up there with uh, Israel, with Turkey, with a few other uh, other places. Turkey has has lost that uh, off, off their fastball over the uh, last few years. But they always know what 
it is to whisper in the ears of American presidents. And, you know, from the beginning of that terrible orb photo. <laughs> oh, I love that. And and also, but just like Great whispering photo. to Jared Kushner, you know, you're brilliant, Jared. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we get each other. Um, uh, they have found their way within the Trump. There's a great theory there. And it's a bad theory, I think, just not necessarily in terms of will there be a regional conflict, but what is the U.S. role in that regional conflict? I mean, I, there is a regional conflict. There is. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it exists. It's on the ground. It's a thing. The question is, uh, how much should the United States be involved? I don't see, and Moynihan, maybe I'm lacking the kind of Robert Kagan vision of the world <laughs> to understand why we must be the one in the middle of all of it. But I just don't see it. I don't think we should be. I mean, I think that this is a great example of, of I mean, there. also we're missing one other thing is that Donald Trump's walking away from the Iran nuclear deal and putting on these punishing sanctions, the kind of the most severe economic sanctions that the country. Which he ratcheted up already in response to this attack. I mean, at, at what point? I mean, at this point, you're like, you know, well, keeping well, Bazooka Joe from going into the country. I mean, it's like there's nothing left, right? And, and you know, the Iranians are going, I mean, if you're wargaming this, I'm literally wargaming this, you presume that shooting down an American drone, which happened, um, that would have, you know, Donald Trump was apparently, you know, minutes away from launching a, 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 a strike and then said, you know what? <laughs> it's amazing that the, this is the president. He's like, you know, it's just a piece of hardware. I think we're going to not kill like 200 people. Like you're about to do it, but you decided not to. One of his it's, best moments as president. It's, it is like flipping the fucking coin in no country for old men. <laughs> He's just like, pick a side. <laughs> like, I don't know, man. I just, I don't know about Iran. And it's just like crazy that that, that was actually the position that we're in. But that is, is is true. The, the mining and blowing up uh, should be fairly certain. We know it's Iran too. Is that this is not happening in a vacuum either? It's not directed. We can stay out of it, and and we should. Um, but this is also directed at the U.S. and the U.S.'s regional ally, who um, you know like to murder people in embassies and you know cut them up and put them in suitcases and drag them out. I mean, it's this is not. We don't want them as an ally, but you know we have made that that. Um, uh, dictatorships and double standards, you know, Gene Kirkpatrick argument that it's the best one of the, the, the region. Do you remember when people, conservatives are all mad that Obama like bowed? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's funny because people always talk about the tan suit, which is fake. That actually was no one was actually mad about that. By the way, go back and look at it. Nobody was actually mad about that. But people were actually mad about that in the number of I mean, when I interviewed Joe Walsh the other day, he was like, you know, I was mad about Ob- Obama's. He's like a big Zionist. And he's like, I was mad about the apology tour, the apology tour, the apology tour. Everyone said that, that Obama was g- doing some sort of apology tour. What was the apology tour? I don't what know. were the stops? I don't know. I mean, nothing it changed. Egypt. It was Egypt. 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 Well, Egypt was when the, where he gave the speech. Right? But there's, there's nothing Obama said in the quote unquote apology tour that Donald Trump didn't say to Bill O'Reilly when he was talking about what? You think we're so innocent? Oh, no. <laughs> that, that was that was when somebody like was like, dude, I know you're dumb, but can you do a Noam Chomsky impression? He was like, yeah, let me try it. <laughs> Swear to God. I think, I mean, give me two seconds. He's like, Daniel Ortega? Let me tell you what we did to him. We mined the harbors. It's like, what the fuck are you talking about, dude? Anyway. Donald Trump, CISPIS. This is the, uh, the, yeah. <laughs> the alternative history yeah. that I crave. He was, he, was doing, he was headlining things for the Christic Institute. <laughs> That's a real deep cut, by the way. Daniel? Oh, God. Guys, uh, Br- uh, by the way, Bruce Springsteen, the Christic Institute, if you are um, driving or something, I don't feel like, um, you know, saying, hey, Google. Um, I don't know what I would tell you. We'd probably tell you to fuck off. But yeah, it was a um, think tank. Uh, in the 80s that was primarily concerned with defending the Sandinista revolution. And uh, one of the things, they had big fundraisers and they had a um, show that was headlined uh, by Bruce Springsteen. 
So if you, did Jackson you know, was, Brown was was uh, Jackson Brown was also a supporter, involved. and it was kind of cult like whacking this girlfriend around, uh, kind of cult like allegedly. Um, and there's a allegedly, yeah. Uh, there's a very famous thing, um, which which the Chrysler Institute published all this stuff about the La Penca bombing. It was a bombing, and they killed a bunch of journalists. And of course, journalists start paying attention when they get killed, right? And uh, blamed it on the Contras and the rest of it. And the Chrysler Institute all these books. It turned out later that it was the Sandinista government. It was actually the Ortega government that blew up journalists. And I think that they uh, sponsored a uh, an 80s campus tour with like Gordon Liddy and, uh, uh, and Daniel Sheehan. That's the name. Oh, because Gordon Liddy did also did a uh, tour with Timothy Leary. Maybe I'm uh, I'm uh, melding those two. Yeah, things, it might be because yeah. they were friends. They became good friends, which is amazing to me. Which is what has given rise to the theory that Timothy Leary was like a CIA plant. But you know, whatever. theory, theory. Anyway, but that's that's that. That's the it's World reality. War Three. Camille, what should so, we, so uh, is it going to happen or not? No, it's going to be exactly what it's been, which is a regional conflict. I don't think Donald Trump, um, when particularly as somebody who cares so much about being elected and being popular, um, if he thinks that this, like in the past, presidents used to just presume you're going to get a huge bump, mm-hmm. as George H. W. Bush did, and you know, and George W. Bush at the beginning of the Iraq War too. Um, I don't think the same thing would happen here. I think that it's a different time and it's a very, very different conflict. But escalation There's, is in, in you can hit look, you can hit Iranian targets that are not in Iran. That's the thing that's worrying to me, actually. When you think about it, like you can, you know, we're doing stuff in Yemen already with allies. You know, Hezbollah could be responsible for this, too, or or have been facilitating this stuff. There's all sorts of things that you can hit that are not actually hitting Iran. And that's the thing that kind of worries me. But I'm also thinking about like Iranian escalation at this point. Oh, yeah, for sure. So it's so easy to, to it was so easy to carry out something like this. The notion that it could happen again mm-hmm. or something, something perhaps more severe might happen that, that ratchets up tensions. It's not hard for me to imagine this no. moving in a direction where the you United like States Hugh has Hewitt, some bro. sort of direct action. Hugh well, Hewitt's I, pissed that uh, the Twitter algorithm isn't preferencing Iranian news. And what are they going to do next to provoke us? Well, it is, it, it's a, I mean, it's a, the Twitter thing is not a fair point, but it's a fair point about, about what they're going to do to provoke us, particularly because I remember around the Iraq war time, people saying um, when Iran was in the crosshairs that Iran and Ar- Iran's defenders and people like Nayak, which is this Iranian slightly soft on the regime group in um, DC run by a guy named Trita Parsi. It used to be run by him anyway, but uh, th- it was always that Iran never invaded anybody. They were not, they were not an aggressive expansionist power. They were invaded by Iraq, et cetera. Uh, it, it's a great, uh, you know, three card money trick because since like the bombing of the Marine barracks in, in Lebanon and all of these things worldwide over the years, you can look this stuff up of, you know, the, the tentacles of the uh, revolutionary guards and the Iranian intelligence services. I mean, particularly, I mean, they have four people in prison recently, like two, like, you know, travelers from, from um, Australia, just Mm -hmm. like, you know, they look like Instagram people and they're in Avian prison right now. I mean, it's just like, they don't care. They really, it's not like, I mean, they take, you know, Washington Post journalists, uh, Jason, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, uh, interesting guy and he spent, you know, he's, I think, it, I think he was a dual national, but yes. he's of Iranian extraction either way. And yeah, they took him. What happened? Nothing. You know, we, the thing is, is that there's not a lot you can do. And this is not the era of, you know, 19... 19- 41 or 1939 or, or 2003. Like, I mean, that's, or 2003. That was, that's right. That's I, right. I was uh, reading, I, I just reviewed uh, the Samantha Power book and I've, I've been looking at different interviews that she's been conducting, including with uh, Tyler Cowen mm. over at uh, Marginal Revolution. 
And um, her book is not – and my critique of it was that she wasn't uh, connecting the dots with her own sense of humanitarian intervention and stuff that went wrong like in Libya, which she was one of the like uh, architects pushing for that. Mm-hmm. And I wanted her to like make some connective tissue there. But her afterward uh, pointed out that America is going through a lot of war fatigue right now. And she rightly pointed out that as Rosa Brooks has done a lot of who also worked in the Obama administration and the State Department. Isn't, that, isn't her mother? Um, yes. Barbara yes. Ehrenreich. Barbara Ehrenreich. Um, okay. uh, that we have too much in American foreign policy, the militarization of everything. Mm-hmm. Like the military is the is the wing that gets funding that we want to solve every single problem. Right. Uh, and so we don't think in terms of other types of ways to solve problems. So mm-hmm. It's good of her to think that. In the Tyler Cowen very good. interview, yes, but it's an afterword, but, but mm-hmm. you know, I'll, I'll – Take something, considering that she's <laughs> going to be the next Secretary of State under President Elizabeth Warren. Um, but uh, in the Tyler Cowen interview, um, he was asking her a bunch of questions about, like, you know, the South China Sea and, you know, China's being more aggressive there. Uh-huh. And what, uh-huh. what can we do? And it was much more of a lament uh, from her there saying that um, – you know, now uh, there's just not a lot, lot of uh, American uh, appetite for war. There's, there has been a, uh, a kind of discrediting of interventionism and and these kind of things. And there's a hint of sadness in her voice in talking about this and maybe even in Tyler's a little bit. But I think that goes to Michael's point, which is that Donald Trump is not immune to electoral politics, nor of the fact that he, like so many recently elected presidents – uh, one of the things that separated him from the field is that he was anti-interventionist compared to the field mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. in the primary election and also in the general election, as far as I'm concerned, compared to Hillary Clinton. This is also true of Barack Obama in 2008. This is true, I believe, of George W. Bush, especially in the primary, but also probably in the general compared to Al Gore, who's a really hawkish Democrat as far as that went um, then, too. And I, there's not a lot of appetite for this stuff. I wish that he would – translate that into getting the hell out of Afghanistan because I don't see any single point of us being there regardless of how shitty it's going to be when we leave and it will. Um, But uh, I don't think to answer your global question um, that he's going to take this scenario and say, you know what? We need to have a lot more war. I don't, I don't think that there is a immediate payoff beyond like, you know, Brian Williams getting excited uh, on the 1130 broadcast. um, If he, sends cruise missiles somewhere. There's not a huge appetite mm-hmm. for that right now. Not so long ago, there were uh, suggestions that the President Trump might get together with Rouhani, the president of Iran, when uh, I guess the two were supposed to be together someplace. Um, it United Nations like, uh, General Assembly. Sounds like that is in a unlikely to happen now. Um, and it's it's interesting. You you were suggesting that you know military conflict, not something that ought to happen. Um, you don't want to respond too forcefully after something like this happens. Um, but there's also a concern uh, amongst many, I, I would imagine, hawkish folks that not doing anything um, may in fact embolden them. I mean, it will. That's that's perfectly reasonable to think. Yeah. But then you also are. But you should do something. Unwilling to speak with them directly in the context of something like this, and you know, there's a great deal of complexity with uh, diplomacy more broadly. But I I sort of think about my own non-interventionist instincts, and I think about genuine foreign policy threats like Iran, and in some respects, like China, geopolitical rival, also a trading partner, um, but also someone who 
definitely uh, is involved in all sorts of, kind of corporate uh, shenanigans and violations of human rights uh, of, of its own citizens um, and all sorts of other stuff. And it's, it's very difficult to know how to calibrate your response to, to foes like that. There's um, one, if, if there's you're not one doing answer. anything in the South China Sea, that seems like um, a mistake. Seems if you're smart not, if you're that. not making, well, I'm saying if you're not making sufficient investments in your military capacity, in your, in your ability to respond to the technological threats that say the Chinese government might be able to bring to bear or anyone else for that matter. I will, these are, these are pretty significant oversights. Admitting that I w- am probably wrong about the South China Sea mm-hmm. and cranky about it, uh, as I was about shipping lanes on the independence, if you recall, <laughs> <laughs> from a particular... <laughs> Didn't you like drive an intern to tears? During the I, the, 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 I wanted to drive him to death, but... Uh, uh, no, it's the South fucking China Sea. Uh-huh. It's the South fucking China Sea. So it's, it's not the South American Sea. It's the South fucking China Sea. Mm-hmm. It's not ours, mm-hmm. right? Um but I could be wrong about that, and I'm, I'm perfect. It's arguably not theirs. Whatever. It's just pro- in my it's head. proximity. Yeah, yeah. whatever. Uh, 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 <laughs> <laughs> but no, I think Joe Biden, God rest his soul. Uh, <laughs> Did he die tonight? Oh, oh, I'm sorry. God, God, first two, Rick Ocasek and then <laughs> Joe Biden? <laughs> all in no, one I've day. All in one day. Uh, Jesus. He actually almost stumbled on a good point for about a second and a half and then like forgot it and was starting to talk about corn pop. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say, <laughs> is the good point the thing about corn pop? You got to put that record player on. Put it up in the window with corn pop. You punch him in the mouth and then you go to China. He said, "Still doing great in the polls." <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, by the way, I just want to—I love the people who are surprised by that. I'm like, you know, that Donald Trump won in 2016. <laughs> yeah, it's like I can't believe he's still winning. I'm like, yeah, no, 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 people are stupid. I can't wait for Donald Trump to come up with his own corn pop. Oh God, uh, yeah. Every, corn pop. Everyone should have one. Yeah, uh, everyone should have one. I want, I want corn pop and T-bone, like in a, yeah. in a. Uh, that's T-bone is. That's uh, what's his name's guy, right? Cory Booker. Oh yeah, yes, yeah. Yes, yeah. Yeah. yeah, skillet. I want fictitious as Cory Booker's girlfriend. All all fake, all fake (laughs) black, all fake black people are named after food. Although Corn Pop apparently was real, was real, totally real. There's there's documentation. Yeah, real. Who's that guy with from the root who had the most hilarious uh, Twitter thread about this? Like it was. He deserves to be named. Uh, He does, and and he's he's actually a really funny writer. But it was Daniel Dale who uh, uncovered the actual obituary for a gang member in Wilmington, Delaware. Corn Pop, who was of a gang called the Romans. Like it checked out. This wow. is an old story. Joe yeah, Biden. Yeah. And, yeah. That's, and that conversation, the video is yeah. old. That didn't happen this weekend. Yeah. Yeah. That was, well, that was from a couple years ago, yeah. right? But wow. the great thing, yeah, I mean, it's like when I'm reading that and then I'm looking at the corroboration stuff, I was like, these are fucking gangs that snapped. You know, this is like <laughs> Jets and the Sharks. They're like, you know, like everyone's singing songs. Shitty and, basketball. And yeah. It's like, are you? <laughs> it's like, no, don't throw it underhand. We're shooting the movie now. Play basketball like somebody. The low, My, key, the low key star of that uh, story, though, was the maintenance guy at the pool who was going to give Joe Biden a chain to fight Corn Pop with. Uh, yeah, that yeah. part of the story? But I thought yeah. like he did That's, give him the chain. No, that didn't give him the chain. I, I don't think that could be corroborated. Joe's, in Joe's telling, he gets puts the chain around his. his <laughs> but then he apologizes for calling him Mr. Puts, Wilson. But then puts a but a towel over the chain and says, uh. "Corn Pop, you can come at me with your razors, 
But I got a chain. I'm gonna. Yeah. I'm gonna, wow. Yeah. But he also. I think wow. that I think that was a DVD extra on the Warriors. <laughs> I don't think that's actually a real a real thing. By the way, I just want uh, one final thing about West Side Story is that my I watched it with my daughter recently, and you she, got through the first ten minutes. Oh, uh, she lo- she tough. loved it. She loved it, but she immediately was like, "They're not Puerto Rican." And I'm like, <laughs> seven. What is that acceptable? I think she was seven. We watched. She like, like pushed dad, over. Dad. She pushed over the TV. It's like, well, it was just like you know. I mean, she goes to. We're going to talk about schools. She goes to like a hyper woke school. That's one thing. But it's also they've. This is now in like 4K. And it's like, you can just see all yeah, the yeah. makeup. <laughs> it's like, oh my God, that guy's Norwegian. It's like, when you're a yet, you're a yet. <laughs> that was a Norwegian joke. So, so what Joe Biden said was that uh, you want to keep China in an international system. So wait, he said this you, to corn pop? He said this to corn pop. <laughs> okay. But he also said this during the debate in a yeah. half a second before he lost his teeth. Yeah. Um, that uh, you want to keep China in an international system like the trading system, like the uh-huh. WTO, so that you can write the rules of the system. Mm-hmm. And then you bring them to better behavior when it comes right. to intellectual property and other things like that. I think that's kind of the right answer. Sure. Right? And to, to your query yeah. of like, what do you do with – and obviously aggressive, obviously repressive, right. uh, especially with all the crazy shit that they're doing with technology and what they're doing in Hong Kong, what they're doing in the Uyghurs. Uh, it's terrifying, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, but what you want to do, I think it is correct, is you bring them into whatever structures that you can. Don't reward them with membership and stuff that they don't deserve, but like bring them into uh, rules of international behavior. And the, the, the idiot thing about uh, Donald Trump's approach to China has been – his failure to recognize the extent to which we wrote the rules of the WTO. We win those disputes. The TPP was for screwing up China and like getting everybody else on board. Exactly. And and he doesn't get that because he has this really like black white version of the world and negotiations, which is wrong. But one one final thing on what what Camille was saying about you know what happens when you allow this to happen, right? I mean. I think the thing that's that's funny about this, it's like, you know, it's the amended version of Francis Fukuyama and it's not actually, you know, fully black and white. But as democracies become more democratic, and I know we have had guests on the show who stupidly think they were becoming a fascist state and we're going to see in 2020 that that's not true. Um, But, you know, as we become more democratic, what ends up happening is that is that you you are going to be the country in the world that has the great engine of, of, you know, for the free market and free trade, you know, such as it was prior to all this administration. And, um, you are actually answerable to your people. And then all of a sudden you're the, you're the people who can't do that. Right. So if we decide we can't be Iran, we can't just blow up a bunch of oils. You know, if that happened, you'd have like Noam Chomsky would have a book of interviews out about it tomorrow. MSM, it would just be crazy. Right. I mean, Iraq, I think was the last version of that. And even in Iraq, even in Iraq, you see, you know, 3,500, 600 Americans died. And we've talked about this before is that if America was not constrained by its position in the world, by the fact that it's a democracy by the fact that that people will lose power if they you know you know execute and prosecute a reckless and really 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 violent war i mean yes that happened right Mm -hmm. but it wasn't vietnam right i mean people forget like 56,000 americans died there was well over a million vietnamese died and you know bombing of dams i mean this is crazy like people you know being flooding fields and the people get 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 food like carpet bombing cities agent orange etc we pulled back vietnam was like the, the kind of crucible of that we pulled back from it. I mean, obviously, World War II, 
it was much more violent. Korean War was Korean incredibly War was incredibly violent. violent. Mm-hmm. And um, we have pulled back, back, back. But you don't have to do that if, you, if you're not a democracy, right? You can do raids on a neighboring country, right? If you're, you know, Venezuela and you want to, you know, or, or you can harbor terrorists. This is a Venezuelan example, I was just thinking, you know, from FARC, for instance, and they can run operations from Venezuela. You can actually, you know, be part of your intelligence apparatus for your neighbor. You can actually have a Marxist terror group that you're kind of facilitating, right? Everywhere across the world, if you're not a democratic country, you can do whatever the hell you want. Democratic countries are handcuffed. Now, I can hear the objections, right? That we haven't been handcuffed, we have responded. But if we were to respond commensurate to the power that we have, the military that we have, the hardware that we had, we would just be making places parking lots, right? And I think that there's some sort of constraint in the Iranians because they are worried about the international community, but not that much. They are, they have done shot down drones, attacking, attacking boats in the, in the, the Straits of Hormuz, uh, attack, literally attacking Saudi Arabia and cutting off half its oil production, which is its uh, entire economy. I mean, the U S can't do that stuff anymore in the way that it did in the past. Do we do it? Sure. But not with the way that, that, you know, so that's the problem is that how do you respond or to this? the solution. No, it, no, 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 I see exactly what you're saying. And I think it is a solution. I think that's exactly right. But it is when you say, what can you do? Everyone always says the same thing. We have a host of bad options or not kind of toothless options. Yeah, that's the way it's going to be. That's the sort of democratic trade when you're actually held accountable by your voters and say, you know, we don't want, you know, our boys going to die and carpet bomb a bunch of, you know, goat farmers for whose conflict, right? I mean, that's, I mean, the regional power is there is like Iran, a Shia country and a Sunni country. Like this is confessional. It's incredibly stupid. It's also for a variety of other reasons, but we thankfully are not involved in similar things and we should stay out of it. And I think that, I mean, we have been, I was being flippant about saying that this is the solution, but in a broad sense and not a specific sense, it is. The problem is the specific sense, it won't be. And can we especially with this big, you know, stick that we have lying around, can we tolerate that? And that it's, it's unclear, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. A broader uh, a point of view, the world needs to take responsibility for the world's own affairs. Um, somebody else who's on the South China Sea who isn't us and isn't China needs to take responsibility for that sea and contest it. Um, well, we have created a system, a post-war system, of course, that People will do that, but they have to have our support. I mean, I mean, obviously, Korea, uh, South Korea is, you know, wargaming with us all the time and Donald Trump is stopping that. Right. So from that perspective, people can probably appreciate that one thing about Donald Trump is that, you know, that, you know, Japan, I mean, military hardware, you know, exercise with the U.S., intelligence sharing. It's pretty intertwined. Right. I mean, so if somebody regionally is going to challenge it, we're going to be involved in some way. Right. But. I kind of want Japan and South Korea to be involved. Yeah, yeah, sure, of right? course. Yeah, yeah. Like and 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 to have the democratic They owe us a little bit the <laughs> uh, just a tiny little bit. Uh, Both countries. Uh yeah, I'm not going to make a Hiroshima joke right now, but like uh You should never no, make probably, a Hiroshima probably, joke. Probably. <laughs> that's, yeah. Yeah. that's about yeah. as far as you soon? should go. Yeah. yeah. I don't think I've ever said in the show you shouldn't make a blank <laughs> joke, but I don't know. I don't know about that one. Yeah, It'll ruin your chance. You certainly nuked job. this fucking conversation, though. Well, before we before we move on, since this is where we need to, we need to lighten it up, the uh, the the name of the writer who tweeted uh, about uh, corn pop was uh, from the root Michael Harriet, and he led off by calling it Biden's Negro Summer Safari Adventure. <laughs> and I won't read the rest of this uh, thread because I'll lose my career. Uh, but uh, if you want to see Mike at Michael Harriet on Twitter, you can see um, his skepticism. It, of the corn it's pop super story. fun. I retweeted it, and he's been proven wrong. 
Wow. <laughs> just like, which is awesome. Wow. Oh, he said, he said it was an invention. Uh, I mean, yeah. the heavy intimation was like, this is like, a, it's funny to watch, you know, white people make up their boogity boogity. No, he uh, black explicitly person. said he's right. I'm, I'm always astounded by the imaginings of white people as it relates to race. And mm. I'm not going to read further. You can find it yourself. I, I think that that is <laughs> the imaginings of everybody uh, about race. I, honestly, because I mean, there's the, the, writers know, politicians know what they can get away with. Um, there was, I mean, there's a number of examples of politicians not getting away with it too, of like, you know, referencing people, whether it's welfare Queens or whatever it might be. But, you know, if you're a writer, I saw something the other day, an article, and it was about race and it was about, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get into it, but I was reading it and and I was like, these stories just don't strike me as true. Mm. And it was in the paper record Mm. and there's no way of fact checking them. It's people telling their experiences. And I'm like, that happened really. Mm-hmm. I feel like I feel like I would have heard of that if that happened. Mm-hmm. You know. So I mean, when you hear Joe Biden say it, it's like, yeah, yeah, it doesn't strike me as real. And when it was real, I was completely stunned. Yeah, completely stunned. Which is great. It shows that we don't know. Well, yeah. M- Matt, earlier today, um, you mentioned that you have a piece that is going up very soon uh, at Reason, which is a publication you're affiliated with. True. And, Employed uh, by. Yeah. And this this piece has something to do with uh, New York City schools, which uh, uh, I, I actually read your piece before I read um, – is it George Packer's piece mm-hmm. in The Atlantic? Whose is better? Um, yours is better, Matt. Yours is, it is really? so much better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because it's shorter? Well, yeah, actually. <laughs> that's, that's the principal reason. Also, I mean I found myself in, in greater agreement with your piece. The, the Packer piece has a lot more things that I found myself in. Eh, um, but there's a lot it's of It's clear in the Packer piece that he has, like. he, has, um, he has to keep up uh, social uh, – Yes, but I want to. You know, I want to defend him for a half a second. No, here. I thought it was a great piece, and uh, I really like him as a because writer. Because one of I also, the, I also thought it was a pretty good piece overall, and was surprised to learn um, for sure that he was actually referring to PS Nine, which is a school that's located pretty close to me. Yeah, um, it's, he didn't name schools, his, his and book. when I went for the uh, deep second read of the long read, mm-hmm. I started to uh, figure out all you the could schools. Disentangle it, yeah. Uh, that he was going to right the thing. The, from my the thing that I appreciate about his and both, and we're talking about uh, his kid is a year older than mine and attends the same school district, which went uh, was a trailblazer in changing admissions policies uh, for reasons of desegregation, and this is the model for the rest of the city. Although they haven't fully adopted it yet. It's the open question. Um, and there's a whole bunch of stuff that comes with all of that. The thing that I appreciate about Packer's piece is the same thing that I uh, despise about it, which is that he allowed us to see what an absolute goddamn nervous wreck he is about uh, his education. Like the amount of crazy New York class anxiety and education anxiety and waiting in line for your two year olds potential like preschool application, which must have hit you a little bit square between the 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 eyebrows, Camille, yeah, a little bit. Um, I'm reading this. I'm like, what kind of crazy alien is this? But that's also a uh, I think a, a good thing about the piece. Mm-hmm. Like he's not doing it to try to make us think that he's good. He's it's a window into a world. And his overall point is that. There's a tension between meritocracy and democracy, and it might be unresolvable as it's played out within the education system. Um, the point of my piece is different. It's more Camille friendly, which is that uh, <laughs> it's true. It is. It uh-huh. is. I mean, it's basically that regardless of what you think about the policies here, local officials 
Uh, and uh, way too many journalists, including people who work for the New York Times, are using the <laughs> intimations of racism as a pretty blunt weapon to try to wipe out dissent in advance of making pretty sweeping policy changes. And that's disreputable. Um, I haven't read your piece yet. You yeah, sent it no. along, but I'll, I will wait for the um, edited version. I didn't want to see the version, but said it not been It's edited. only hyperlinks. That's the only difference. <laughs> oh, no. I read the first line and I was like, what is that fucking the Esperanto <laughs> version of Amazing? <laughs> Talking about Friday the 13th Part yeah. 6. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I liked the Packer thing. And, and, and of course, the Twitter response from the same fucking malcontents who sit on Twitter all day in Brooklyn talking about like, oh, uh, they're all about white privilege and like, oh, his white privilege is going to be taken away. His privilege is, it's like the guy cares about his kid going to a decent school and every, and he wants to write about it. And everyone, mm -hmm. pile, I mean, there was like a pile on about it. There were like real, like people that I thought were reasonable people going after him for, and I couldn't figure out what. And then I realized it was basically because he criticized the, 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 pedagogical standards of, of New York public schools, which have been taken over by a very, so look, I mean, it's funny when it happens here. Um, and I know this, uh, from schools myself, I have a daughter, um, and it's in private schools, it's in public schools and it is really, really aggressive. It's not, it's very, very much fringe politics. Nobody who goes to any of these schools, not nobody, but most of the people who go to these schools don't have the politics of the school that the school is, is pushing upon, upon kids. And it's very, very blatant too. It's not saying, you know, well, we're going to do, um, we're going to teach you neutrally about this subject, which has been under taught in the past, not enough about slavery, et cetera. There's nothing like that. It's really, really aggressive. And, you know, I've had examples of it recently. I think I told you about one um, probably a couple weeks ago that I was shocked by. And I think if this happened, you could share with the listeners. Eh, it's all right. I want to keep, <laughs> keep her in school. Um, I'm not sure. Actually, after I, after that happened, I was like, no, nah, I don't think I, but that, te that teacher's gone. Um, but then I was thinking back and I was thinking back to the, the Texas curriculum stuff. And when these nutbags on the right do it, who should be openly, aggressively criticized because mm. they rewrite the curriculum with all this nonsense stuff that, you know, Joe McCarthy was right and, and uh, evolution is fake. Uh, there was like national news coverage of it. And here it's just nobody even notices it. It's just that's what is bog standard. That's what should be standard. And you notice that when George Packer writes about it, nobody read about this before you. I know you had tweeted and writing about it now, but nobody else had. And you walk, if I walked into the school, if there was a, a, a the analog for the right is seeing what I see sometimes, there would be photographs of it. It would be on Twitter. There'd be denunciations. There'd be news stories. There'd be people calling the school and saying, why are you indoctrinating six-year-olds? I mean, it seems a little aggressive. And why is it so political? And I've sent you some stuff in the mm -hmm. past mm -hmm. and people just don't notice it. And then I go up the street and there's a bookstore in Fort Greene, um, uh, a very good bookstore, and go in the children's book session. My daughter usually goes and sits down and grabs books. And the kids' books are so political. I mean, it is crazy. And then I remembered that it was about 2003 or four. there was a book that came out called, like, Help Mommy, There Are Liberals Under the Bed. Do you remember yeah. this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it was crazy. It was everywhere. People were writing about it. There were hot takes. And I remember I was just looking it up and it said like Ross Douthat or something <laughs> on his The American Scene blog from way, way. Oh, It said like, man. oh, I'm late to the liberals under the bed thing. And it's like, yeah, yeah, no, no, make fun of that stuff because that's gross. Tell, like buying that nonsense for your kids. It's disgusting. And now it's just totally normal. And it's totally normal in the other direction. So you go in and there's every book is hyper 
hyper political. And like, you know, they're like Angela Davis books for kids. I mean, it's just just crazy and stuff. And I'm like, man, that's a bit nuts. One of the set pieces in the George Packer piece, which is 10,600 words long. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure my books were 10,600 words. (laughs) I want to give a quick shout out to Autumn. A-U-D-M. It's an app. Um, I listen to it. Uh, and Autumn uh, is a subscription-based thing. It's a pretty low price. Like professionally read. And it's professionally read. They have yeah. voice actors read articles. You don't like even know how to read day. it anymore, do you? I don't. I have yeah. I have, I have anymore. I actually just use I actually just use the uh, the speech uh, the speech on Pocket or Instagram Insta paper. There is a speech feature he doesn't built even know how to into talk iOS. He literally just puked on the and All you've got to do is. Yeah, but like, it doesn't like, sound good. I said, no, it actually sounds pretty good. Really? Yeah. But this is like, these are professional voices. So I was like walking around the city listening but to George Packer. Okay. It was like four, four weeks to listen to it. Yeah. One of the set pieces or four, that, he, or 40 minutes. that he writes about is that I think a second grader at his school, not far from where I live, um, uh, came out as a. Uh, gender neutral yeah i think and changed changed their, maybe change whatever i was i was looking for the right pronoun change their name to q yes yeah. q which is pretty sweet name pretty badass name yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, also he didn't write it was a reference to QAnon. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. the biggest <laughs> QAnon menace in brooklyn is nine uh, and as a result of this kid doing this thing at this woke school they decided to make all not just like one not some, but all of the bathrooms gender neutral. Mm-hmm. All of them. It's the right thing to do. For seven years. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and this led to a parental outcry. It was a six-month process. And at the end of it, and very interestingly for you anarchists out there, mm. for a while, the kids uh, in the midst of the trauma, like, you know what? Screw it. We'll just go to the ones that used to be boys for boys and used to be girls for girls because it's too like nerve wracking to kind of deal with this otherwise. Um, and then eventually the Department of Education, many months later, came in and said, have the one gender neutral bathroom and 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 do this. And it's amazing to see all these ex gawker writers. We, let's stop calling them ex gawker and saying current rancid writers they were wow. they write for a global site called rancid and some of these people like hamilton nolan hamilton your name is hamilton nolan and you're going to be like a woke jacobin guy i remember his your name is hamilton fucking nolan hamilton bro. nolan had hamilton a col- fucking nolan hamilton nolan had a column talk that was literally headlined something close to bring crime back to times square <laughs> he wanted yeah. to bring back muggings to times square sure. because it, it wasn't cool enough you, sir you, oswald you first <laughs> sir oswald mosley the yeah. third uh came out winston churchill the 12th uh uh it was uh, uh saying that uh you know this is all protection of white privilege and or which elides the point that George Packer actually supported the one policy that um, all they support, too, which is the diversity plan a policy that they did to our uh, schools. But people saying, oh, well, he's just mad because they had an imperfect solution to the uh, 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 trying to accommodate a transgender kid. It's like, OK, that's an available take. Yeah, but it's also like you're not even allowed to mention that. I mean, to mention it is all, all of a sudden it becomes in the retelling the focus of your article. And also, um, you know, that I've seen a lot of those responses, the white white privilege kind of stuff. And I have just realized more and more that that phrase needs to be banished. And the only reason it needs to be banished, if you want to have those thoughts, if you want to see the world through that prism, fine. OK, but it is become a replacement for thought. And the number of people that I see are like really young writers 
right out of the gate. And I'm going to talk about one of them when we have somebody that wrote this because I came prepared for the first time in a while. And it is just, you know, they just drop it out there and expect that you will fill in the rest. You have to do some sort of homework when you're reading pieces now. It's like, you know, because of the white privilege, I'm like, I I know. Tell me what you mean. (laughs) Tell me what that means. I don't understand what that means because it's not a uniform thing of like, do I have the same? I guess they would say that. Yes. The answer is yes, that I have the same amount of privilege as um, somebody, you know, who, you know, grew up with the name Trumpington Farenhold the third. <laughs> you know, so like like an Evelyn Waugh character. I mean, you know, if if you have a like a union dad and a you know secretary mom that and went to a state school, does that is that the same? And the answer is usually yes, it is the same. Which I find like wow, that's that's really the reduction of thought to just these little phrases in this phrase politics, which drives me absolutely. Did you see Chelsea Handler's new show is. Are you there? It's a uh, uh, privilege. It's me, Chelsea. Oh, the name no. of her new oh, Netflix no. show. Oh, no. Oh, well, she, what? That's the name of the show? The hell is it? I about? hear one. Her, she had a book called Are You There, God? It's me, Chelsea. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, uh, the, yeah, it's, it's I'm, I got it right. Are you there? Privilege. It's me, Chelsea is the name of the new Netflix so, show. So someone, her, her I presume her Chelsea, agent came to her Chelsea and said, Handler, you know how you were not racism. funny before? <laughs> um, we want to make you less funny. And we want to make, we want to make sure. But speaking of funny, we got uh, the news came in tonight. Um, I don't know if he's funny. The guy from uh, from uh, SNL. Well, not not the guy from SNL. Well, the guy who was about to be. He got hired. Not had any SNL. of you ever yeah. heard of him? No, no. And but that's it's always the case with SNL yeah. new hires. Yeah. yeah, they grab people out of like the New York and LA and Chicago improv scenes. What I like about the story, and I don't like anything about the story, but what I really like about it is that it's so clear. That people's reaction to him, yes, it was about he, he was doing like a video podcast and he said chink yeah. and it wasn't funny uh-uh. and it was kind of mean. Um, not in the way that uh, Shaquille O'Neal was being kind of funny when he was making fun of Yao Ming back 15 yeah, years yeah, ago. Yeah. That was kind of yeah, funny. Yeah. Um, uh, but also probably not right. Uh, but like they were reacting in addition to that by uh, looking at his face. <laughs> Like, yeah. like he looks like I think uh, uh, Coop, the great uh, uh, rock and roll artist in, in the West Coast, uh, described him as you know he has a face like a toe. Um, yeah, <laughs> he just looks like the worst. He looks like a Junior Brett Kavanaugh. I, I think like he's a little, from like the middle of Pennsylvania. He's from sort of rural. Just this doughy, kind of aggressive, yeah. kind of dumb-eyed. You can immediately fill in all the blanks on him based on a five-second glance at him and. Everyone is doing that, including me and looking at him. And you think like, is that right? Is that how we should do this? Should I look at Camille and see this like quizzical, like he doesn't even Very know I'm there right now, yeah. uh, kind of a uh, guy. Uh, <laughs> Fell asleep like 20 minutes ago. <laughs> and like fill in every single blank to this story. And maybe that's accurate. I don't but, even but, know. But does, does, here's the question. Does his background matter? And, and I mean this in the sense that like, if you have some kid who's 19, 20 years old and he's, um, you know, up and coming and, and gets, you know, called to SNL. And he is like, you know, from an urban area, tough area, and he's black and he says something homophobic. I think that you'd probably get a lot of people saying, I mean, I've seen this actually in action, um, saying that, you know, like, look, the guy comes from a really shitty background and like, you know, he's learning, he's learning, he's, 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 you know, finding his, you know, sea legs here. Um, which I, you know, I, I, I get, I get that that happens and, and that's not about race at all. It's about sort of socioeconomic background. Do, would you, is it, does it matter that he's like, you know, I think he was like some kind of 
you know, hillbilly-ish guy. Is that, is that right? It looks like one. Yeah, it looks like one. I mean, yeah, does that matter? Right. And also, you know, Dave Chappelle did an Asian voice in a pretty aggressive way in his new special. Uh-huh. And it was a trans joke, too. So it was a trans joke with an Asian voice in it. But I yeah. guess he's married to an Asian woman. Does that matter? And I, has, I don't understand that. fuck rules. you money. Yeah, it's fuck you money. So two things. One, why is it so hard, it's so impossibly difficult to actually find the offending clip when something like this happens. Oh, I found it. It's it's, it's really not, nice. but it, it's hard. Like, yeah. Because initially, all you'll find are these like CNN text-heavy readable videos with this weird, like dark, sinister music over yeah, it, yeah, yeah. and no audio whatsoever. And occasionally, there'll be like an audio clip of him saying something else. Yes, that is totally not <laughs> yes. whatever the offending yes. phrase yes. is. As if this is so dastardly a thing to hear, have said that we can't play it for you now. We can't even give you a transcript of what the man is meant to have said. If I understand correctly, the offending words were uttered during a segment on his podcast. Somebody else's podcast, but yeah. But I think yeah. it was his podcast. Oh, it was, it was like the secret podcast with him oh, and some okay. other guy who also is never going to have a job on SNL. Yeah. Um, that he's making a joke about Chinatown. Yeah. Um, in which his friend says something about all of the shitty building in, in Chinatown. Yeah. And he, um, what's his name? Shane. Shane Gillis. Says, Shane says something along the lines of, yeah, we're just going to give the buildings to the chinks. Yeah. Yeah. Is that it? Well, it, it was also like the really crappy, much. crappy buildings. I mean, you, yeah, could, yeah. you could have made all these can, buildings. All the buildings in Chinatown are shitty. Hey, and someone says, yeah. he's, this is Shane. Someone as someone saying yeah, let's sure. just give the buildings to the chinks yeah, i have no idea if that's his intention but it's perfectly logical that it would be um who knows that that is what we're talking about here yeah we're talking about practice we but, sitting here i'm supposed to be the franchise player and we in here talking about practice mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. this is weird uh-huh isn't it weird flips the switch boom isn't wanna, it weird? i was about to do the voice back to you then like, <laughs> snl might come yeah calling. they might come calling they but, won't actually. but the thing is there's is no also chance. everyone's like oh it's a bad joke like yeah yeah it was just on the, the but Mah- it's not even a bad joke Muhammad, Muhammad like, cartoon he's, thing. He's like, they're not- bad cartoons like no it doesn't matter <laughs> and in this case it it, it doesn't because you know it is the, the point is, is if the joke is funny or not but the thing about SNL that people tend to forget is it's not a place that are, it's necessarily great for stand-ups, right? I mean, there are guys like Daryl Hammond, not like a great stand-up. Mm-hmm. There's a lot. I mean, there are guys that are funny stand-ups like Norm MacDonald, Kevin Nealon's a great stand-up. But that's not always the case. Eddie Murphy was. But there are people that are like funny like, actors. They're, like, they're, they're good comic actors. They're good, um, quick on their feet, but they're good at like Chris Farley never wrote a single sketch that he was in. Really? He was just, no, he was just a very funny fat guy who was funny <laughs> in real life, but, but that, I mean, he, he, you don't want to see him do stand-up, right? I don't think he ever did. Maybe there were there were a few writers who like made their name at SNL just writing for Chris Farley because yeah. they found that it worked. Yeah, because mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. And so so people are like, oh, you know, he's not. Yeah, maybe he's not good at that. The question then becomes: Should you? Should all these people lose their jobs because of one one mistake? And it's like, well, there's the first Asian American cast member this time. Well, the presumption is when you say that is that he doesn't like Asians. Or that the other guy will will think, think it would be uncomfortable. Nobody's asked him. Because if they asked him, he might say, I don't know, he might say he would be uncomfortable. But he might also say that, like, look, I'm a comic, too. You you, you fail a lot. Sometimes you go out on limbs. This is what he said when when he was, you know, quote, unquote, caught. Um, and didn't really apologize. Everyone was, like, mad. He's like, his apology wasn't good enough. I mean, look, it's never but good enough. What should he apologize I, I, I don't I, But for making a, making a no, racist. It's, but well, it's, then, but then it's, it was but like, it's for using the word chink. Yeah, well, it was also... 
um, then he, I, I can't remember what the other thing was, but it was in some, you know, cause that's when they started doing the archeology span right? yeah. and they found some other thing where he called like Judd Apatow, like a, a faggot comedian. I can't yes, remember. Yeah, I can't white, remember. White faggot I, 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 like yeah, that. I don't know the yeah. context, so it doesn't, it, it's kind of confusing to me. I don't either. But you know, uh, so he got canceled and everyone was, was um, happy. And I was looking at the comments. Um, Tom Wright Piersanti. Do you know that name? Nope. No. He was a guy at the New York Times a couple weeks ago. This is how fast this stuff moves. Oh, wow. Okay. Who, who had the anti-Semitic tweets and other, I think, racially charged or homophobic or whatever tweets. And the Times did a story about it. And the story was that Breitbart and these right-wing uh, organizations are now in these oppo research campaigns against our employees. Yeah. Right. And uh, finding this stuff. And um, as far as I can tell, his tweets are still protected. And I've seen nothing to the contrary that Tom Wright Piersante has not been fired. He was a politics editor. If he had been fired, we'd know about it. We'd know about it. And he hasn't been fired. And it's also where it comes from, right? If the accusation was made, how true it is, it comes from these like shitheads over at Breitbart, and they are shitheads, but you know, he wrote the tweets. Um, That's slightly different. They do a story about how this is a concerted campaign against, against their journalists to dig up stuff from the past. But like, why? So why is the journalist, the journalist who's actually reporting serious stuff, right? Or is editing serious stuff, maybe about Israel, right? <laughs> maybe about an anti-Semitic attack in Brooklyn, for instance. Maybe he's editing that piece. Versus a comic who makes a misstep, and we're going to find, you know, all the stuff about him. Like, look, look, I don't know. I don't, I, I don't think that it should result in his firing. I think it's kind of crazy. And I think that if you ask the guy, he's probably a pretty reasonable guy, my guess. And I looked at his, some of his other stuff. I don't think he's racist towards Asian people. I think he saw an opportunity for like a little risque joke. And by the way, the more you push the stuff, the more you tell people you can't say things, the more people want to say them. Everyone says it's like, oh, another someone had a Twitter feed, the uh, Twitter thing the other day. It was like, um, take a random stock photo of like a white person and put the word triggered a Netflix special on it. Ha <laughs> ha. Funny concept, right? Um, but the kind thing, yeah, it's kind of funny. I like, no, I'm serious. It was kind of, it was kind of funny. But the thing is, is that, they don't take any responsibility for this actually being the culture, right? You know, if this was 1994, these would not be the specials that people are producing. They feel under siege and rightfully so because a comic said something that was, you know, again, you know, not particularly funny. I didn't think it was funny. And it's like a lame joke. And he doesn't have a job anymore. So there are people who have power in this situation like Bill Burr and like Dave Chappelle, who are speaking out against this stuff. And everyone's like, oh, there they go again. It's like, no, no, the climate is as such that this comedy works and people respond to it, not because it's fictitious, not because they've made up this kind of environment that we live in. This is the, 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 the you know, and the number of people you talk to, like Trump voters who think like, oh man, I remember one person in particular saying like, I, you know, I fear that people are going to say things about me because of stuff that I've, thought said in the past and said at work in the past so yeah i mean it resonates with people in that what i remember is uh from the uh bush the response years. by the way is always just don't say racist shit i'm like yeah. he was trying to make a joke that's different he uh in his uh explanation non-apology pointed out something that was totally true which is that most things that most comedians say it's not funny yeah we're just, we're trying to we're trying to find a funny go, go to the comedy cellar on tuesday yeah everyone's working that material you're working that material uh, they just work like, and, and they say so a lot of times they say this might not work yeah i'm gonna try a bunch of shit now and we're gonna see if it works you gotta try it live yeah 
and and the other thing is that it was really not funny. By the it way. was it was totally not funny. Um, and at the same time, like uh, people, the, to my irritation, under Bush, when the Dixie Chicks were canceled by what was the name of the radio uh, station? Cumulus. Yes. Um, yeah. That bounced them uh, back then. Suddenly, I'd gone so many years without a lot of artistic exploration of whether the Dixie Chicks were good or bad. <laughs> Suddenly it was this moment, this exact moment when they were getting kicked off of gigantic radio networks. Clear Channel, not Cumulus. Clear Channel and, okay, so, uh, Cumulus, uh, uh, I think, had some relationship uh, as well. But Clear Channel is the biggest, mm -hmm. behemoth there. They're getting kicked out off of this. Suddenly, this is the moment that it's really important to say, you know what? They, you know, their music has sucked since 2002 or 2000. Oh, of course. They used to be good. Of but course. now the most important thing to say about them right now is that their music is not good uh, because— The cartoons were bad. The cartoons, the cartoons bad. aren't funny. The joke isn't funny. Uh, it's like, it doesn't matter. It's the principle you have. And when and they Sandra Singh Lowe, who in, back in, in, in Los Angeles, she was uh, kicked, this sounds in the context of the 2020 Democratic presidential uh, campaign, this sounds ludicrous, but um, she had taped her normal segment for NPR back in like 2004 or five or something, six, um, uh, taped it. Uh, and in it, she taped it using the word fuck a lot. With the idea that it was going to be bleeped and it'd be funny, like and right a few times, and the engineer screwed up uh, and she didn't uh, see it through, and so the word "fuck" was broadcast on the local Santa Monica NPR in 2005, let's say, um, and so they fired her, saying that you know in in today's climate with the FCC, we can't be too uh, too sh uh, you know safe, so she really needs to go. And then so many people, so many people who would otherwise bore you about free speech, but who resented this very funny and interesting and always successful commentator said, you know what? She hasn't been funny for like a couple of years. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, she's a she's like a bonbon. Um, she always gets jobs that she doesn't deserve. Suddenly that becomes the most important thing. We don't know that Shane Hill is. Like, you know, yeah. I mean, and then the Dixie Chicks thing was so outrageous that like, you know, and I know some people made the argument, I think I probably did at the time, that it was because of where it was said. It was said in London. There was something kind of, you know, when you say it to a foreign audience, sometimes people get more angry. I don't know. But um, the thing about it is that there's a certain thing on that on that level that it actually boomeranged and benefited them in some way. Um, that, that they became sort of heroic. This Shane guy's not going to become a hero, right? I mean, that's some difference. Unless I mean, he goes full Proud Boys. Yeah. He, well, God, let's hope not. Um, <laughs> but, you know, in some way they became heroes. I mean, it did obviously affect their career, but I wonder what the statute of limitation is, is, you know, I mean, you, you, you hear this quite a bit. It was a different time. Well, you can't say that. It's a different time, blah, blah, blah. We still are going to take that book off the shelf because it's from 1940 and it has a lot of um, profane words, racist words, whatever. Okay. All right. Well, let's do that. Let's do that. And let's, let's apply it. Let's apply it right now. Let's apply it with Asian stuff and let's apply it with comics. Right now, let's do it. Eddie Murphy signed a deal for $70 million to do his new stand-up, right? That's crazy. His first comedy record has an extended riff on Chinese people in Chinese restaurants, exactly what this guy did, mm -hmm. Chinese restaurants, and about mocking, and he, has, he does the voice and all that stuff. So it, is it that we forgive after a certain amount of time? Because we don't forgive for certain novels, right, that we don't want to have in the story. Well, it was a different time. No, no, we, they, they won't figure that out. They won't figure out that Huck Finn was written, you know, when it was written. We, we just have to, like, just take it off because they might hear the word and it might infect them, right? 
is that the case with Eddie Murphy? Will we cancel him in the way we canceled this, you know, defenseless guy who didn't have any money? And I don't want to make it sound like I'm just defending him and he should, you know, like he's, I have no idea. I just saw the one clip and I was like, from what I can tell, I don't, I, 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 to lose that comedy dream of SNL, it just seems like a pretty harsh punishment. Maybe he could, you know, if that was part of his act, I don't know. I don't know. We'll see. I wonder, does Ice Cube perform anymore? Uh, in movies he does. But does he ever perform music? Do you at, think? At, at big three halftime shows. Yeah. He does, really? Yeah, oh yeah, that's a big part of the thing. He goes to every sh- every game and he'll he'll get on and be a hype man for the product. I wonder if we could like start a petition, one of those like things Change the White House does, yeah, where we get him to perform Black Korea. Oh one man. Of, one yeah, you're going to burn your ass to a crisp. Yeah, about burning down a Korean store. Ice Cube apparently every has, time has I listed wanna, tour dates right. Every now. time I want to go get a a fucking brew, I got to go down to the store with the two Oriental one penny counting motherfuckers. Mm-hmm. That make him nigga mad enough to cause a little ruckus. It's because he doesn't. Does, does, does he, he doesn't reference like in that people. the girl that was shot um, that precipitated the LA riots? One of those, the girl that was shot the, um, at the Korean I store. I don't remember. I have to like actually read the lyrics to figure it out. Yes, yeah, but it ends with something about burning down the store, by the way. Mm-hmm. So it's actually not even a joke. It's so actually. Pay a, respect to the Black Fist or we'll burn your store right down to a crisp. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's yeah. that's a little different than a little joke. Kind of right but nose. he also, if you Google it, you can also find an ad that. Uh, he did for the final call, the Nation of Islam paper. Oh. He did some ads, like there's like him reading the paper. It's really funny. Yeah. And it's <laughs> like reading a copy of the final call. He's like, hey, I get my news from this racist newspaper. Yeah. He's <laughs> also done beer commercials. Uh, St. Ives commercials, I think, didn't he? I, I, I might have been in Coors. Oh, because yeah, there was like, a St. Like, Ives, a bunch of hip hop guys did St. Ives commercials in the early 90s. Oh, yeah. ST Crooked Eye. ST Crooked Eye to the DES. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I remember, like, when well, I remember was seeing a, those yeah, commercials come on on BET when I would like be home. From they were on UMTV Raps. It's both. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he did a St. Ives commercial? He did a St. Ives commercial in 1993, and he did a Coors Light commercial in 2013. Um, I said this in the, the last episode, of life. and somebody uh, mentioned it on Twitter. I'm never wrong about anything, am I, Matt? Uh, you can be wrong about it. <laughs> um, you know, a couple of things. A yeah. couple of things. Um, it's more life. My daughter talks about how I was issues. wrong about a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a bad dad and things like that. No, you're good dad. I'm okay. I'm not bad. Husband, I hope she listens to this when she's like 30 <laughs> and I'm dead. Stop <laughs> it. Stop it. Uh, but yeah, so let's go back and let's see how, let's cancel everybody. And if we, and if not, by the way, establish a set of rules, establish a set of media rules in which what is the cutoff? Because the guy just did, this was like last year, right? And the guy was like, oh, he's in his 30s. Like, yeah, okay. Yeah, I just didn't think he thought it was that bad. It's not a youth thing. Don't make that argument. But it, if we go back 20 years, to Eddie Murphy. I, I mean, it's it actually just seems stupid. This this particular controversy seems entirely stupid to me. He was saying what a, a racist person would say. He wasn't calling people chinks because he wanted to be awful yeah. towards them. I mean, so maybe who knows? Yeah. So he wasn't no, but I mean, that's, like that's Michael like obviously what happened here. But but it's, you it's know, it, but if that was the case, I mean, and and I believe it could be. I'd have to watch the clip again. But um, why not just say that? Why not come out? These people are so bad at defending themselves. He didn't really <laughs> apologize, but like 
Like, dude, call me. I'm your crisis PR guy. You're going to uh, fucking lose your job either way. You're uh, not going to be on SNL. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Immediately, you're not going to be on SNL. There's never over. been a case. It's you over. have to be a guy in the New York Times who's being attacked by Breitbart, <laughs> and then you keep your job. <laughs> but you're, go- you're gone. You're gone. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. let's just talk about wh- how you respond. Gosh, you remember the, the chick who was working? I, I just chick. called her a chick. Wow. Oh, yep. God. Remember the Do you remember chick? The, yeah, the chick who had to go Black work. Archie Bunker? <laughs> the New York Times. <laughs> and they found all those, those Yeah, yeah. Sarah, Sarah Jung. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's yeah. still totally employed. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, we should get her on the podcast. He should make the. Well, would, would you she advise him to out. make the argument if you're Asian and you make anti-white <laughs> comments, you stay? But other way around, yeah. Yeah. Well, not for nothing. We're big, we were big Howard Stern fans, you know, back in his golden age. And Who's now we. Well, I mean, I, I, you, yeah, I the white I've never heard you discuss the golden, the '90s era of Howard yeah, Stern. Yeah, yeah. Were you a fan? I mean, he was a no. broadcast in DC. Okay, well, I thank wasn't you. really listening. So I'll continue. I wasn't so, not a fan. He was. He was. When I delivered flowers for a little bit, so I, I listened to Stern. A he's, lot. he's now like you know, like an elder statesman. He like interviews you know Beatles and politicians, yeah. and he's considered like practically woke at this point. And he's practically on, a, on an apology tour for his entire career. But the he, book that last book was apology tour for his entire career. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the yeah. foreword. I actually read it. It was uh, it was very apologetic. He apologized for. His previous two books but he he made his name and his fortune on incredibly politically incorrect humor that yes. was both funny and not racist he, he dealt with racial humor and all kinds of transgressive humor but it was always uh the heart of it was always satirizing racism and i mean you remember that that clans went on yeah he used to the kkk guy on yeah and did in a game show format yeah <laughs> and, the, and the thing yeah. about it was he was the heel he was the wrestling exactly villain. yeah and they would just rip on him i mean it was not Having him on was like, oh my god! How Nobody would talk about platforming. It. No, it was not platforming. Yeah. It was it was humiliating. But him. that's the thing is, there was a subtlety to the transgressive humor that obviously you couldn't touch today. But even Stern himself completely he, he doesn't want you to dig too deep into those archives he wants you to just be like yeah, let's talk about my interviews with lena dunham today they are <laughs> so careful the they, archives yeah, yeah they are and one final thing i'll say about this is that um you know i don't know if i mean if the market decides here right if you just let it go i don't think anyone's abandoning snl i think it's you're only responding to people on twitter you're thinking twitter's real life and you're only responding to journalists who live in like four four zip codes you're not responding to the mass of people. I mean, we'll find, I mean, I would, I talked to a friend who's a journalist um, who writes about these issues, Asian type things. And I said, you should come on the, <laughs> no, he, this is like, you know, well, I'll just mention his name, Jay, Jay Caspian Kang, mm-hmm. who just had a cover story in the New York times magazine. Mm-hmm. And I asked him a couple of days ago, if he'd like to come on. Cause Jay loves throwing punches on Twitter. Jay, I'd love yeah. to have, I'd love Jay, to have Jay's a great guy. He's, he's a Twitter fuck. dick. He's a, he's a Twitter, dick, but he's funny as fuck. Like, yeah. Jay's a good guy and he's really, really smart. And, but when you, and, and Jay, of course is, it's really interesting because in person, I mean, Jay's obviously very different. Um, and I actually talked in, I, Jay listens to the show. He's texted me about things we've talked about. And so I hope he's listening to this is that he, um, uh, Jesse Singal told me that, that he went after Jesse like constantly, constantly, constantly. And, and I've if, it, and, and it, yeah. And if Jay is listening to the show, he's probably pulling his hair out because he's like, Jay's argument is like this woke stuff is like inconsequential and you guys are making a big deal of it. Um, that's a very, I mean, I'll let him explain it, but, um, I would love to hear what he has to say about this stuff because he writes, you know, he's obviously Asian American and he writes about the last piece that he wrote was about 
about Asian Americans in college and things like that. Mm. And, um, you know, I'd love to see his take because he's a guy that um, is brilliant and will surprise you is that you see him on Twitter and I just, Jay's got a, a young kid. So his little baby's running around and Jay's just like, you know, I got nothing else to do. So he's just throwing bombs <laughs> up to neglecting the kid. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm not accusing him of neglect. I want you him to come on the show. You just said he was a bad father. I just said he's fun. He's a cute, he's a cute Typical kid. Asian. His kid's cute. Hey. Yeah. Well, look at, I want Jay to come on. I want to talk about this with Jay and see if he's offended by, by, yeah. by stuff like by this. Camille, mostly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know who I, I bet isn't offended? Uh, Michelle Malkin. <laughs> oh my God. In defensive internment. Yeah. Yeah. Ice cubes. Is it ice cube? Yeah. See, this is what Camille does for you listeners back home. Like, for ice we're talking about stuff, like issues and whatever. Oh, he's on his iPad the whole time. The whole time, just like I ice cube. Figuring out, figuring out what else we'll talk about before we Dave get out Matthews. Of here. This um, she, we've been we've been going for, for a while. while. Um, we should we should chat briefly though. Uh, it sounds like Fisher is going to be hosting the Republican um, presidential debate. How did that happen? Which. This is the thing. Is it really a Republican presidential debate if the Republican president isn't participating? Not really. Well, Fisher. It, I mean, it's incomplete. <laughs> <laughs> the president, okay. the, pres- the president, the president was invited. Yeah, yeah. Mark Sanford was invited, and uh-huh. uh, after many negotiations, this, determined that his uh, pre-scheduled pre- uh, uh, conflict could not be moved. Uh, but Appalachian Trail. Yeah, but, yeah. I mean, yeah, he's hiking. He's I fucking mean, his girlfriend yeah. in Uruguay. Uh, <laughs> We're doing- Sorry, buddy. Can't do it. <laughs> it's a. It's it's as it's. She's a very nice lady. I've met her. Yeah. Have you? I never told the story. What? So hold a moment. Fisher. Really? No, no, no. We'll get back to it. We'll get back to it. I'm not going anywhere. Yeah, I mean, don't bury the lead. He's literally going to talk about <laughs> specifics Matt, of when the, the debate's happening. But Matt, what the fuck, <laughs> Matt? You know the story. Uh, the listeners don't. I mean, so I'm riding. I'm riding the. Tra- <laughs> I'm riding the train. Everything's a euphemism. I'm riding the train in New York City, the subway. Yeah, I and, literally thought uh, that was like you no, a train. It's not a euphemism. You guys are riding the train. True story. I was, was riding Mark, the subway. Mark I was riding the subway in New York City. <laughs> I may have actually been going to News Corp this particular day, but I was riding the train, and there's this really tall guy and mm. this woman, and um, for whatever reason, the guy's just like he's smiling. He's like really happy, mm. and we make eye contact, which is weird because we're on a train, and he smiles at me. And it's weird because people don't, you don't just smile at strangers on the train in New York City unless something's wrong with you. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't been here very long. Or you're from the Carolinas. But I kind of yeah. smiled back at him. And um, he actually spoke, uh, I'm, I'm, my memory of this is a little hazy now, but he spoke to me first. He said something like, hey, how you doing? And I said, I'm, I'm fine. How are you? Dude, he's been running for president. And he said, I'm great. Yeah. And he said, I'm great. And then... Um, and I said, and this was just after the scandal was over. This was maybe a couple of months afterwards. Um, and he's in New York doing who knows what. Um, but uh, I say to him, are you are you former Governor Mark Sanford? <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that is precisely, yeah. precisely how I asked. Yeah. I, I had to... I, there's a part of me that almost got to, are you former, are you former, but now totally fucking disgraced? Governor Mark Sanford? Excuse me, sir. Are you former governor Mark Sanford? And he says, uh, why, why? Yes, I am. Yeah. And then I look at the woman who's standing beside him and it is totally his mistress. Oh, yeah. and yeah. he like, he introduced her. Well, and I think it was, a, I think his public girlfriend at, at that, that point. point it was his yeah, public yeah, girlfriend. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we met. On they still the, together? We met on the nope. subway. I don't know. It, nope. It, no, but it was true love, Matt. Well, 
Wow. I mean, I think there is a the language barrier. There's a point where it's just like, holy fuck, I'm well, getting Mark Sanford. <laughs> this guy's a weirdo. He talks to like people in no. the subway. At the at the time, they seemed very happy, and I and I I root for love. I, I would have I would have wow. liked for that to work out. But yeah, this is a Mark fucking Sanford, Luther Vandross record. Met Mark Sanford. I do. <laughs> I root for love. You got you. <laughs> oh, oh shit! Stop the love. Um, yeah, no, sure. that's true. Story. Hey, oh yeah, yeah. Okay, so you're doing the thing with the, but nobody, the but, no, but nobody's coming. So you, no, oh, Walsh and Welsh. Yeah, thank you, <laughs> Walsh, Welsh, and Welsh. Guys, guys, you thought worthy enough of interviews. Well, what, yeah, yeah. What, what, yeah. What, 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 mine was amazing. <laughs> so how will mine was very good. You have to right, live well, up to that. An empty yeah. podium for Trump's there. No, we 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 are going to. No, we're not doing it. We're not going to try to pretend that Trump is there through a surrogate. But we're going to throw that he's a coward. We are going to throw out a couple of clips, policy-related clips of President Trump speaking, and those will be the pivot points for questions to the two candidates that who sounds are great. showing up. I want to watch that. That and sounds good. So right? we will be, you know, trying to present uh, skeptical uh, inquiry into whether or not there's a need for a never-Trump Republican insurgency, because the polls show that there isn't, mm, but yeah. we're going to give voice to... Because Republicans go- don't want it. They don't want it. 90% yeah, but, 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 of yeah, Repu- yeah. Republicans support <laughs> Trump. Governor, yeah. Governor Weld... Governor Weld 10% is, don't support those guys. Governor yeah. Weld is presenting a the liberal Republican, Northeast, Rockefeller Republican that really doesn't exist anymore and hasn't for at least 20 years. Mm-hmm. And Joe Walsh is a ex-Tea Party firebrand, one-term congressman from Illinois who has said many problematic things, to to use a problematic phrase. Uh, But we plan to, you know, break their balls when it's appropriate, but also stick to the issues and stick to the things that they claim they can provide the country and the Republican Party in opposition to President Trump. What's Uh, the the date? The date is Tuesday, September 24th. You can watch it on businessinsider.com and uh, our Facebook show, Business Insider Today. And not, you're not getting, you're not getting C-SPAN to carried on one of its lower channels it's seven c-span six or whatever they you think they'd do that i think they would yeah, yeah. they do a lot Try of things it. like that yeah they, they did the goddamn libertarian party they, they, they might be, well they, there's always the promise of some fat guy running around naked there might be the iron cross tattoo <laughs> yeah exactly the iron cross tattoo it's really had an iron these but, are these are literally people that are agent <laughs> provocateurs to make libertarians look exactly how they are which is like is psychotic it? stop it I'm a libertarian. Yeah, do you have an Capital Iron L? Cross Capital L? No, I just have the one tattoo. What's that tattoo? Explain. It's the it's the, it's the Mises. Thing. Oh, oh god. Yeah. Mises thing. I'm not going to talk to you about that. Exactly. Um, you get that uh, one of Lou Rockwell on your uh, thigh, which I thought was a bit strange. <laughs> <laughs> I saw you sent me some interview. Like, inter- I don't know why inter- I've ever fucking read anything about that. Nutcase. But there was something, and he was because before we started the show, we were, we watched that Sabbath. Um, War Paris, pigs. 1970, uh, War Pigs. And I saw something, you sent me something, and in the middle was an interview, and he was talking about uh, Black Sabbath being the most, like, Mises-friendly band. And then I was like, what a miserable existence that your music has to conform to some sort of ideological standard. Mm-hmm. Like, imagine all the good stuff that you would miss if you didn't, if, if you actually held your musicians to that stupid good standard. Good Christ. Like, who would be... Would be like pavement. Would be your ideologically uh, uh, it, it, coherent band. Is that re- really? Just see, Malcolm is like a no. I don't know, but like just he's so weird. Yeah, I guess I don't and know. He wants two states. Uh, oh, I met the. I, I was backstage at a Radiohead concert a number of years ago, and I met the uh, bass player, the Greenwood, the other Greenwood, 
Uh, his brother? Yeah, his brother's like a, I think he's a bass player, right? Mm-hmm. And he was like a huge neocon. Colin Greenwood, right? Yeah. yeah. He was like a, he was like a big. Anyone Nick, named Colin. <laughs> he, he was, a, he was like a Nick Cohen fan. Uh, yeah. David Aronovich, these like sort of liberal interventionists in the Iraq war time. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if he's like now. Like George Packer. But that was exactly like George Packer. But yeah, that's a really irritating thing is that the second that thing came out, there was a thousand tweets like, you know, you were wrong about the Iraq. It's like, guys, can you like literally, is this the, the issue? Like if you were quote unquote wrong about it, that you, I mean, cause as I've pointed out in the past, like the Maoist international movement was right about it. Quote unquote. <laughs> I mean, like you're going to like murder the guy forever. I saw uh, a it's couple of crazy, like a that. couple of, uh, you know, rancid.com uh, uh, tweeters out there saying literally like, can we cancel him already? If we're going to cancel people, let's start with people who are wrong about the Iraq war. And there's something to that critique, actually, hmm. that like the people who were aggressively, angrily, stupidly wrong about the Iraq war to the extent that they're like trying to write out other people from uh, respectable discourse. You're David, talking about the David Frum. David Frum is one. Max Boot is another. Some of these people who've now become big never Trump people. Um you know, if you were going to be in the business of writing people out of discourse, yeah, maybe they'd be in the short list. But like, maybe don't be in that business. Maybe like take people on their arguments, people who are right this week and wrong next week and whatever. Like, it's, I, I think it's often overstated the influence of some of these people. I mean, some of them are, actually did have a tremendous amount of influence, the like Wolfowitzes and Frums of the world and stuff. But like, you know, you find some you know, guy who writes for the Allentown Observer. And um, I don't know if it's a paper, but it should be. I'm going to start it tomorrow. Um, and they find some, somebody finds something they wrote. And, and like, you know, I mean, if you go back and read like Hitchens stuff at the time, you know, he's making a pretty convincing case. If you are not thinking about what happened afterwards, right? I mean, just on his, on his merits, you can be like, okay, I can see how that works. Right. But I mean, that's it's, actually interesting to like, to uh, to look at the architecture and work backwards. Where did it go wrong? There must have been something wrong with the case, or maybe just it was like the 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 execution was X or whatever. But like it's something to go with. No, I always I, I to think just it, I, like being in a category that can now be subject to hitting a big red button. No, look, I always I always thought that that you know one of the things of proponents of the Iraq War was was a certain and this is going to sound funny, but it's a certain Islamophilia. Was that the idea that everybody will get along? It'll be like Germany in 1945, Japan 1945, Czechoslovakia not, in 1989. Yeah, and all those comparisons were made, and not realizing the massive confessional rifts within Islam and the extreme elements of it that hmm. would go to deep, you know, in, in psychotic lengths. I mean, you saw the, insur- the insurgency, which, you know, I mean, backed and funded by Iran. And you see Muqtada al-Sadr and these people coming up out of nowhere. It was like, Who, where did these guys come from? And it's like, oh, no, no, we had a very, we had a very positive vision of remaking countries be fairly easy. This is Europe, but, you know, in the Levant. And that was not true. There was a, a, a video interview I rewatched with Samantha Power in February 2003, where she was asked about. The one on C-SPAN? Yes. Yeah. I watched it too um, before I interviewed her. <laughs> uh, yeah, where she's asked about this and she says the humanitarian community is divided about the invasion in Iraq. And uh, and she was against it. Ultimately, she was against it. And she also said yeah, I that, that I think that it's going to go a lot better than most everybody else says. Yeah, It'll go quicker. And I've got that experience because I've seen what's happened in Bosnia and Kosovo. 
uh, and mm. elsewhere. She had a very Central European uh, focused view, which I get because I lived in Central Europe. But we were, we were also on the side of Muslims against non-Muslims at the time uh, in, in Bosnia. And that was a big difference. Yes. Yeah. Uh, by the way, I just one quick story is that um, I interviewed Samantha Power for the for the doctor for HBO. And uh, we sat down and she lives in my hometown actually now. Um, not too far from where I grew up and, uh, she sat down and we had a local sound guy. So usually have a local sound guy. You don't bring him with you. It's cheaper. And I didn't, I didn't know the guy and he was a nice dude, but he, uh, put the pack on her back, like on her back, uh, belt loop. And I don't know what happened, but I have this footage. She howled in pain that was like birds were falling out of the sky. It was like something that in the pack hit her, shocked her, something and it ruined the interview. <laughs> she was really like pissed off. And I mean, I don't really blame her, but it was like, it was like, okay, let's get this done now. And it was really congenial and nice before. And I was trying to like butter her up and just say like, you know, talk about mutual friends that we had. And, and then it just all went as a British would say, a bit, a bit pear shaped. So yeah, I have footage of, of my sound guy shocking uh, Samantha Power. Before we leave. I'll, I'll put it on my Instagram. I've been putting outtakes on my Instagram, by the way, I, from Vanty. Incredible. Yeah, some of those have been getting uh, recirculated. Yeah, yeah. Stuff. I got yeah. a bunch more. I got a bunch more that I found uh, recently because um, we're in between doing, I'm doing a pilot and, and some stuff's going on. Mm-hmm. But I've been going through old footage to, for, for, to cut for some other things. And I keep on finding these completely bizarre interactions. And I'm just posting them on Instagram now. Because, you know, my Instagram is protected. I guess it's like, I don't know. What's matter. your uh, handle? Uh, M Moyne. M-M-O-Y-N. Right? Is it, I think it's M Moyne. I think so, yeah. Yeah. I don't, I'm not like, I'm not, I don't have a great Instagram game, but I'm trying to get back into it. But uh, should we do a summary that wrote this? Yeah. Do yeah, yeah. Go, 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 go. Bikini go. photos. That'll help your Instagram following grow. Uh, my bikini photos? Yes. You and, you they're, are, bikini. they're already there. You in a bikini. Yeah, yeah, yeah no. I've like, I've. Mankini? No, I have a series that I where I um, recreate pictures of Freddie Mercury. <laughs> I have like tight things on with a half a mic stand. Good, good, half a mic stand. All right, well, so That's I want a hell of a euphemism. I, I want to. Um, <laughs> I, I I think this somebody that wrote this speaks to a bigger thing. This is something I saw <laughs> on the Daily Beast where I, I used to be employed. Um, I don't think we used to publish stuff like this when I was there. God, um, I hate them. And uh, this is um, about a new Netflix show called Tall Girl, mm, uh-uh. right? And uh, the headline is, and Netflix wants you to know how hard it is to be a tall, beautiful white girl. Uh-oh. Um, the girl who wrote this is, I don't know her, her um, height, but she's a beautiful white girl. Um, <laughs> and, well, you can know, you know, you look over here and see. Mm. see uh, yeah, right, I mean, come on. Wow. Uh, stop. Um, so are you sure this is, I think. Are you sure that, you haven't dated her? Um I'm with, I'm with her now, actually. Um, this is going to end our relationship. Attacking her over this. So this show, uh, my daughter um, was watching the trailer of. It's a show for kids that are like seven, eight, nine, ten years old. This is not a show for adults. You would be hard pressed to find that in the first couple uh, paragraphs of this. But this is the paragraph that I was like, oh my god, this is everything that's wrong with journalism today. And so I'm going to read you quickly this paragraph. Uh, when the tall girl trailer dropped last month, it was immediately roasted on Twitter for, well, obvious reasons. One Twitter uh, user shared the clip with the comment, wait, are you telling me this isn't an SNL sketch? Another tweeted, I can't believe Netflix decided tall white girls are a minority that need representation ASAP. 
Most of the angry reactions were from people who felt the film was, was a step in the wrong direction for representation on screen. Someone else pointed to the fact that Jody's black best friend, Farida, you know, by the way, you can never win, um, played by Angelica Washington, does not appear to get the screen time she deserves. Oh, yeah. Oh, damn. After watching the film, I can confirm this to be the case. Two quick points. On this. <laughs> this is how people see television today. It's absolutely astonishing. When I read this, my jaw was on the floor. You'd think it's a sort of ordinarily boring, you know, rote kind of woke thing. But then you read it. Is that the tall white girls are a uh, minority that needs representation ASAP. Television is about minorities who need representation ASAP. You can't have a show just on a sort of like, oh, there's a tall white girl. Maybe the, the writer was a tall kid in, in, in high school and thought there was like some parable from when she was in middle school to help, you know, and it teaches larger lessons, not about being tall and blah, blah, blah. That's the first thing. And then most of the angry reactions from people who felt the film was a step in the wrong direction for representation on screen. Again, what is the purpose of television now? Is this, is this actually it? Is te- does television have to be a vehicle for social change and for making sure that people see representation of everybody everywhere on television? I'm not sure. But then this is the final line, which I read already. The, the Jody's uh, black best friend, Farida. Clearly, they're, you know, want to make some diverse choices here. Her best friend's black. Does not appear to get the screen time she deserves. I'm sorry. Who the fuck are you? <laughs> who the fuck do you think you are? She deserves? Are you the fucking person who wrote the screenplay? Are you, or do you have any talent beyond vomiting up these unbelievably stupid hot takes? Like sort of lukewarm takes for the Daily Beast, which get hate clicks and that's it? You think you're enlightening anybody in this fucking stuff? There's somebody out there who makes a show for Netflix and has a black character as a best friend. He doesn't have the screen time. She should be the main character. What? Wait a second. You're talking about a different show. Have a fucking di- make your own show. Stop telling people how much screen time the fucking adjunct character character played by Angelica Washington should have. And then she has the parenthetical. After watching the film, I can confirm this to be the case because there is an objective standard of how much time. Confirmation. There's, there's a confirmation. I confirm that she's not on screen as much as she should be. What on the ever loving fuck are you talking about? Is this fucking criticism now? Was the show any good? I don't know. But it goes on for 25,000 words about how privileged white girls who are tall, they can't make shows about them because their, their life isn't as hard as somebody in fucking Somalia. I mean, it's, this is the standard. It's like I once wrote a column for this very same publication making fun of the idea of first world problems. Because they're pro- they're my problems. <laughs> Fuck you. It's like, I missed the fucking train. I'm the late for my meeting. Yes, but you know the person... I don't know why this voice is happening. Yeah, yeah. The person here has no potable drinking water. I'm like, yeah, I know, it sucks. <laughs> but I still miss my fucking train. I can't do anything about it's, it. It's also What bad. do you want? It's also bad. It's not a binary choice. I think there are things that are bad, and then there are other things that are bad. And together, they're both fucking bad, and that one's worse. But I don't live there. It's not worse for me. It's not worse for me. <laughs> Can we lose these problems in this fucking house? Do you oh know how many people God. would say? You know, other people don't have houses. I know they don't have houses. <laughs> it's true. It's a first world problem. I live in the fucking first world. Can, can I just say oh, about all, all my all my imagined house problems? I've been drinking say, too much tonight, by the way. I've no, no. slept in my house. Oh, you have? Shower. I took a shower in my shower. Yeah. Wow, you haven't invited us yet. Yeah. You've been, the shower. you've been invited multiple times. You've been invited to I've pick been. up a hammer and swing it. I've been many times. Um, come on by. You many can come, times. You can come tonight. 
Well, congratulations, Camille, on the, yes. on the house. Yeah, well, is it comfortable? Beginnings. Comfortable? It's fine. Livable? It's a house in it's a house in Brooklyn. Across, is it livable? Across the street from a school that some people don't think it's a good idea to send their kid to. Have fun with George Packer. You yeah. should invite Packer over. I, I do want George Packer to come over. Yeah, he's a very bright guy. George, you're invited over, George. We could be. Friends. I love the fact. I love the fact that you think he's listening right now. She is listening. Totally None listening. of our fans are listening right now. Shut up. <laughs> All right, let's get All out right, of here. Let's get out of here. All right. Bye. 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 We know of new methods of attack. The Trojan horse, the fifth column.